0: The Crash Chords Podcast. I, of course, am Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. Um, briefly, before we get into our uh, listener pick this week, I do want to give another thank you to our guest last week, Mr. Matthew Holtzclaw. It was uh, fun to have him on. Um, It was a good interview. It felt
1: good saying Storm, actually. (laughs) Just just to to switch it up. A little bit of an aside, I call him Storm off air, and on air I have to try to remember to call him Matt, and it's weird.
2: I don't think we were on the name basis to call him Holtz. Hey, Holtz. Yeah, (laughs) that doesn't really work. Um, Or or Claw. Mr. Claw. Actually, he might like that. Uh, I mean, the gadget references there kind of bother me. But that was Dr. Claw. Oh, yeah, yet,
0: yeah, you're claw. right. I forgot yeah. uh, that he
1: had a PhD. Cool. Besides, besides the <laughs> fact <of> that... <laughs> he did have a PhD. got to remember... <laughs> Dr. Claude had PhD. you got to remember that, that Dr. Claw place. is actually the original Inspector Gadget... Brought back to life by weird machinations, and that the actual Mr. Inspector Gadget that's on the cartoon. I mean, this is the whole thing that can. Yeah, at. Like well, I, d- I don't stuff. think
2: I really knew the canon when I was what six. No. <laughs> I just watched <laughs> the Goofy. Theory. It did. It was the only thing like certifiably to get me up at six o'clock in the morning. It was Inspector Gadget? It, really? Yeah. No. Certifiably. Yeah, only It was ex- the Batman Inspector Superman Gadget. Adventures. There was Justice League. There was Young Justice.
1: There was He's Teen Titans. Us. Pretty much anything that was on WB was awesome growing up. Yeah, that's true, but a... it wasn't WB
2: then. It was no, it Yeah, but it was WB for shorthand instead of CW, which I still don't really like. You guys are early millennials. I'm a pre-modern millennial. No, I'm not getting into this Would it be (laughs) post-modern?
1: Anyway,
0: um, to bring it back to what I was saying, um, but yes, thank you, Matt, for joining us on the podcast. Um, It was a blast to have you, and hopefully we'll bring him back as well as his twisted cousin. Um, But it it was fun to get to talk to him. I've become quite close with him just working in the same scene as him, and so it was nice to have him on because he's a great conversationalist and, and a fun guy to chat
2: with. Absolutely. I guess we're diving in on
0: that note. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have any news or fun things. Uh, oh. I, well, actually, there is one thing that pissed off John before he started recording. Um, I officially am seeing Weezer and Panic the Disco yeah, on their okay. tour no, we're not this not talking summer. about
1: that. He's getting a ticket to go to Philly to go watch them, and I still haven't seen Weezer. Yeah, well, it's, no. it's and good. I'm not
0: really against Panic. I mean, I like some of their stuff. I like a couple of their songs. I don't yeah. really know them that well. But, um, but I'm excited to see Weezer again, especially with the new album on the horizon and their last record being a huge favorite of
1: mine. I'm not, John I'm, is I'm fuming. Just, they're going to break up, before I can see them live oh. like the next oh. time they're in New York
0: I'll probably be in like Canada I would, <laughs> I would like to give a shout out to Wasty and friend uh, Molly Haybear Wilson who actually um, got me that ticket
2: so I appreciate that alright Well, seeing as this is one of those days where no segue will be made apparent, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I am brimming with excitement for this episode. Uh, First, let's give our proper dues. You did say it's a listener pick, and that is from the Mysterious Mark H. (laughs) little backstory here. In January of last year, the Mysterious Mark H sent us one of the most flattering and thorough emails that we've ever received in support of the podcast, before suggesting Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard, which we did do in episode 128. And we did enjoy. We did enjoy, indeed. Well, this year he reached out to us again, at first a bit unsure as to what he wanted to suggest, wondering if he should even bother telling us whether he liked the album or not. And I said no, don't tell us, that's part of the game. And then finally he landed on FFS, Franz Ferdinand and Sparks, FFS, self-titled album. Brief background, Franz Ferdinand most people out there will probably know Franz Ferdinand. They were a popular indie rock band from good old Glasgow, Scotland, back when indie rock was actually a fresher term and it wasn't weighed down in all the eye rolls and general lack of specificity uh, that it is today and that we find most frequently. I was still in high school when Franz Ferdinand's self-titled debut album was released and simply put, I liked it because it was fun. I wasn't a cynic back then. I was, through and through, it just had this upbeat funk element. Uh, A lot of people also called it pop punk or dance punk, but I kind of rejected those because punk was sort of dirty, and this was clean and polished. In fact, the only thing that wasn't polished about Franz Ferdinand was their vocals, and I thought that's because it gave it character. Yeah, that first record, that self-titled record that they
0: put out, I remember loving the single. Yeah. Um, Take Take Me Me Out. Out. Oh, man, that was was an
1: iconic of that time. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely, and and like, I mean, also at that time, games like Guitar Hero and Rock Band were really gaining steam, and, and Take Me Out was actually on Rock Band, and I loved not only singing, it was one of the few songs I loved singing, playing guitar playing bass and playing drums just the whole song had this how to it that i can't even explain.
2: Yeah, and that that track exemplified it for sure, but it's because they had this like strange attitude that pervaded not just their singles but even a lot of other work on that album. But they also had a versatility as well. I I could I could only liken them to like other pop acts like like the Beatles in terms of just their ability to do whatever they wanted and still remain catchy in the process. I actually remember the first time i heard one of their lighter tracks, uh Eleanor put your boots back on from their second album. I said That doesn't just remind me of Eleanor Rigby because it has the word Eleanor in it. It reminds me of Eleanor Rigby because it's emotionally and musically, it it puts me in the same exact place. And I find that most of their albums are just that. On one hand, they're dance, 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 and then breathe. Little bits of emotion, just to kind of cool you off. But mostly, it's dance it off for the entirety. And that duality was cathartic to say the least. More than enough substance, I think, for a much younger me. Recently, though, I'll admit I haven't checked in with them. Mainly because, uh, in retrospect, I realize they were pop songs. They picked their groove. They stuck the landing for sure. But they reached a kind of plateau within some of those songs. Little did I know, though, that the seed for FFS had already been planted as soon as that first album. Franz Ferdinand and Sparks were actually fans of each other following the release of self-titled Franz Ferdinand. They wanted to work on an album together shortly after 2004, but they had other things going on, other, other responsibilities, and then finally, in 2015, they made it happen. But that begs the question, who is Sparks? Well, Sparks is a much, much older band. They've been around since 1971, and uh, Mark, our our suggester, our listener pick, he was sadly correct in saying that that Sparks never enjoyed much mainstream success, but... Boy, talk about a band that has changed with the times. If you just scan through their their discography, it's like a a cross-section of American culture from the pop to the surreal. I I, I could only skim through it this this week because there was a lot of albums to look at, but I will definitely be spending more time with them in the future. Needless to say though, after doing that, These are not two bands that I would have thought would be an intuitive collaboration, and yet intuition seems to be what guided this album from the get-go. Normally I don't like letting any major opinions on the album out before the discussion really works itself through naturally, but I do want to address some obvious things before we actually get to the particulars. For people who have just listened to the album and who know what Franz Ferdinand has done, this is Franz Ferdinand on steroids. And that comes as a great relief for me who has had a, not had a lot of luck recently with new releases from bands that I used to love. It's fair enough. Um a slight
0: tangent about Sparks because I also only skim very barely the surface of their discography. Yeah, same here. Mm-hmm. I do want to give a brief shout out to someone who's gotten plenty of shout outs from us already, but because it may be relevant to something I want to mention to Steve on air and see what he thinks. So we've been mentioned by the A to Z podcast before and they've mentioned us we've mentioned them we're fans of each other um i would like and steve had brought this up we would like to give them a Uh, a discography recommendation. We haven't decided on one yet, but we were going to discuss it. Mm -hmm. Sparks
2: might be a good contender. If they've changed that much as you say they've evolved, that might be something really interesting for them to cover if they haven't. That's very interesting, because I thought that when I was listening to this album, I thought at least, uh, just suggesting as, like, based on Neon Indian for instance, the fact that that Doug Ferguson of Music A to Z suggested Neon Indian, I kind of said, you know what, I bet they would like this album. I just have a feeling, the way in which they discussed it. So, I knew that it would be kind of cheap just to pick FFS, because they do their discographies of bands yeah, yeah, yeah. And technically the discography of FFS is just FFS but Sparks that would be interesting so uh, something to yeah. muse as we continue with this review yeah and just considering the last couple of weeks also we you know we've had so many albums that show their cards too early on they can't really hack it as they go this album just just up front Is the polar opposite in my opinion don't get me wrong it starts off incredibly catchy but it also starts off incredibly modest there are no hints that this album will will take the turns that it does but to explain this album to explain those turns might not be so simple so let's look at this album by the numbers as we always do um track one johnny delusional now if you're talking about modesty
1: this track actually starts with uh, a piano concert kind of a feel. It, it, it not even a piano concert, a recital. That's what it feels like. I, I I'm I'm envisioning a person sitting down at a piano in an auditorium, not an empty auditorium, but a full one. It's his first time. It's not even really in that professional sense. The piano has that slight, not out of tune, but that slight. It's a teeny not quality. Grand. Yeah, it's well, the opposite of grand. or if it is pain.
2: grand, it's it's not the refined concert yeah, grand that has it's, you know.
1: It's the sort of thing where there's curtains because they gotta hide everything on the sides and they don't go all the way back because, well, this is the local high school kind of auditorium. Yeah, and that that, that,
2: in itself is not completely unique. Of course we see that in other areas. But, you know, it it does, I like the way in which it starts off with that reverb and then it gets tastefully cut off at the moment that the vocals begin. And the verses start off very, almost kind of introverted, but self-aware. It almost seems to become a theme, actually, in this album. Uh, The the pre-chorus, for Instance, the music starts building intensity, and then the second voice comes in. Some might find me borderline attractive from afar, and this is this is the kind of lines you get in here. Very humble lines. Words are in my head, but I can't enunciate them clearly. And head- I love I he- love that word choice, not, enunciate. Well, of course, but you know, headphones on your hair, they can't they prevent a chance to even try. And then some might find me borderline attractive from afar, but afar is not where I can stay and there you are. It's a very sweet sentiment, but laden with humility.
0: Well, yeah, and then the chorus comes in right after, and what I like about the chorus is it's got this interesting inflection, the way he kind of goes up, the way he sings it, the 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 sound he's kind of delivering. It's almost theatrical in the way he delivers it. It almost feels comedic, even. It has this kind of and
2: tongue-in-cheek you, and tone. And you mean specifically in the falsettos, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because this is not something that I had necessarily gotten as much with, out of, prior Franz Ferdinand I I have a feeling that maybe that second voice could be uh, the lead singer of Sparks I'm not sure of course there's a lot of vocalists in the mix and a lot of people do backing vocalists so it could be absolutely anybody but a lot of times it seems to happen with uh, the the primary vocalist and a lot of times it seems to happen in in the case of doubling and it's 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 what I would call very British and that's coming from just (laughs) an American perspective I mean there's actually one very strange comparison that I have here there's Everyone here probably knows Monty Python. Sure. But Do you remember any sketches that involved people called the Pepperpots? Yes. Sure. And they were called the Pepperpots because they're these pear-shaped individuals, and they were usually played by the males on set, by Terry Jones and whatnot, and they would always go into that voice that sounded kind of screechy and falsetto, but always like it's just about to crack. And that's kind of what he goes into here. It's how I would describe this falsetto, but it's inherently silly to us, and I, I think there's there's no attempt to disguise that. I think it's the mix of that with the upbeat, fun nature of the song that is what
0: kind of conveys it, almost in a fight of the Concord's way, comical kind of tone. Absolutely.
1: Actually, what I found the most identifiable here was it felt like a combination of Queen and Sticks, specifically like the very rock-oriented ideas that Queen produced. But with the sticks, Mr. Roboto kind of chorus intro, the, the vocals really reminded me of that. I can see that. I mean, that speaks to
0: theatricality
1: I mentioned earlier. And that yeah, falsetto. That kind of, the kind of overreaching yeah. uh,
0: out there. Out it was there. the delivery, the yeah. breathiness of it
1: almost. But what really drew me into this song was the verses themselves. And very specifically, the build of the instrumentation was yeah. so nice. The
2: subtle layering from verse to verse. I mean, for instance, the first time you get it, the voice was. Actually Actually, kind of flat. He's he's in his baritone for yeah. sure. And then the next time, it's it's a secondary voice, which then doubles with the falsetto on top of it. And I it, it was such a tasteful way of slowly immersing you into this track, and it doesn't make it seem like it's this this boring pivot between verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It it really develops, and and by the time you get to the the second or third iteration of it, you know you're the the track is taking you on a journey, despite being purely in pop territory.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could have gone a very simplistic pop route, especially starting with that almost piano-rocky vibe that you guys were discussing. It, It could have really gone in that direction. We've had plenty of artists who have done that, and we've liked it, but this changes, takes things that are conventional to pop, but changes them enough and mixes them enough
1: that it feels unconventional. That punchy beat actually was one of the most pop, yet at the same time really did buck against... Everything that we would label nowadays as pop because it was more of a classic rock style of that kind of a beat. It felt like the 1960s kind of just
2: rhythm drums
1: build, building I,
2: itself up and up and up. I would argue that it's 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 pen rock in a certain yeah, way. Yeah. It's the elements of rock that have really kind of stayed true and it's mm-hmm. what I appreciated Franz Ferdinand back in 2004 for doing. For just kind of honing in on the core of it. Sure, there's little bits of, of modernity in there, but it's I, not not to say that I liked them for being retro. I thought they were a very fresh band at the time, but it is kind of, it, it's there's no attempt to, to put all this extra stuff on. Yeah. No, there is extra stuff here and I think a lot of that might be sparks we don't really know but one more thing I want to talk about uh with this track is the bridge because the Mm. bridge was a sort of a strange it it, it snuffs everything out and all you get now is just paging Mr. Delusional you're wanted at the desk and that's a separate voice paging Mr. Delusional more sing-songy there and then plainer, you're wanted at the front desk and then they start building up with wouldn't it be terrible if there's no music there? Wouldn't be terrible if she don't want you near? Wouldn't it be terrible if there's no music there? Wouldn't be terrible if she don't want you near? It's, it, it, it kind of speaks, once again, and I'm we're, we're fresh off the album here, so let's not start uh, talking about theme in such a deep sense here, but considering most of these tracks, spoilers, are pretty damn danceable, I mean, a lot of it is just using music and the upbeat, catchy nature of it as the the, the, the veneer, the, the the face that he puts on and frankly, I think it works. Well, yeah. I think it's it's the cure of yeah. whatever you know your ailment is, and we'll get to that. <laughs> and that section specifically that you were talking about, the kind of spoken
0: section, is what led me to, to remind me of acts like uh, "They Might Be Giants" or "A Flight of the Concords that tend to be more drifting towards comedy and doing fun and silly things because that that spoken part is pretty silly in tone delivery and even style
2: it feels kind of like hyper aware well the ailment here you know just on a surface level is clearly that he's i think he's delusional over liking a certain something yeah delusion like it's It's not gonna work out it's not gonna work out yeah yeah yeah, so, you know, paging Mr. Delusion will wake the hell up, you yeah. know, and, and then the cure to that is, ah, uh, dance off your troubles, tomorrow's another day, other fish in the sea, all the old cliches, and I think it's just, it's a nice way of saying it, it's not, it's not a terribly deep track, but the song certainly had me excited. But also clueless as to what's to come.
0: Well, yeah, and messaging is not super on the nose. When you break down the lyrics, it is. But listening to the song, it just feels like a fun, dancey song that you get a hint of what it is, but it's not like pushing it
2: in your face. Yeah, we're gonna have to kind of work that in in uh, perspective. Let's go to track two, "Call Girl." I, I liked the crispness of the synth in this track. I think it's the thing that, re- that stood out mo- most to me, specifically the synth that sounds kind of like a boxy waveform, very harsh, uh, but it, it has a punch to it. it. It's just a great tone, I thought, Yeah. the backdrop.
0: I, I had said when the song started that the, the cheesiness almost of the synth was indicative of the title like as soon as I heard the synth kick in I was like oh this sounds like a song that would be called Call Girl Call Girl like, it like just you're felt sitting kind in a, like a in CD
2: a 1980s hotel room and you actually just ordered one <laughs> yeah
0: like it, it really did kind of have that feel
1: well that's because of the the combination of that kind of scat beat in the synth versus the deeper like I guess wub beat, uh, that's kind of what it's known as today, that, that really a little... does a lot to sort of go high and bright but keep it down low. The combination of the two does make it come off as, as sleazy. In this we're getting a, a falsetto that is one thing I love to harp on, and this is a little bit of a side, is when people start doing vocalizers and screwing up their vocals. Here I want to take back a lot of what I said about it and say that in this case I love the falsetto for being so hollow. Oh. I love the vocals for being so electronic. The vocal pitch that gets put into there—I don't know if he's doing it off the cuff or if it's a little bit of the auto tune kicking in—but that adds another layer to that
2: sleaziness. Certainly not auto tune, but it is—it is at it least is a vocalizer, and I think it, it does, and it fits with it. It blends the uh, the, the two atmospheres together um, because it, it makes
1: them sound drunk. It makes him sound screwed up messed up I th- in, in in some
2: sort of place that ain't right I think it's because beneath that vocalizer you could tell that his 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 natural voice is very low and very grumbly and i like uh, especially when he employs his vibrato. And it sounds even cooler, frankly, with this vocalizer effect, because with his vibrato, I don't know, it resonates very deeply with me for some reason, because of his, his signature tone that's just so... It, it's it's a baritone, yeah, but it's also a really animated baritone, something that I don't really hear a lot. It's I feel like it's harder to be animated in that register. And yet he pulls it off effortlessly, which maybe the only other place that we've noticed that is in like let's say Modest Mouse. Yeah. But even he doesn't really get as low as this guy does. Yeah. So um, I'd say
0: the only person who gets that low and animated might be the spine, and even then he like goes all over the place. That's too. a whole another style, right? Entirely. It's just a completely different style. Yeah. But I'm saying in, in that kind of same idea. Um, another thing about the vocals here is I think the wordplay that they use here is really interesting. The song is called "Call Girl," and it could be about a call girl, but the way it's being sung, it's Asking the question, why don't you call call girl. girl? Yeah, And that, that, that wordplay I really enjoy And while it does sound like Maybe he is waiting for the call from a call girl To
1: have some fun,
0: it's not really clear It could just be a girl that he likes yes. And I like that ambiguity
1: Yeah, it's a nice little grey area I realize it's me who makes advances All advances, and I realize arrangements Come from me, it's me, it's me It's me who always wants to meet, so come on girl Come on and pick up and ring and actually, I want to also talk about a little bit of an inflection that comes on here. From me, it's me, it's me, it's me. I is, love that. They all o- it's they, a
2: beautiful line. They overlap. It's it's like well, it's it's the the primary vocalist, and then I think a, a, a second, a third. It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. Yeah. Or it could be the same vocalist just you know overdubbed a few times. But it's re- it's really great how this is one of the few moments, in fact, in this. Track that that sort of have a, has a little interlude. It's a very very minor interlude, but it's a it's a little little dots of color that I thought made this track flow just as well as the first track did. I thought it kept it just as catchy. They keep it just as interesting as they go. Um, but certainly back uh, back to your point. Back to the um, the gray area. The, the interpretation here. Yeah, the gray the gray area. I realize arrangements come from me, and that does almost kind of imply like. It, it's the kind of things that you would I say I suppose say about a prostitute, you know, that it's all on one side really. That it's all well but just it's clearly s- one on but, one but side. Just, that but way.
0: considering the previous song and about how he was, you know, Johnny Delusional and and that, that- Character didn't know that there was no affection there on one side. Yeah, this also sounds very one-sided and if you're in a relationship That's one-sided it could also sound like
1: this Why would you not make that comparison to your call girl? Why don't you call girl? It's the combination of the both adding in that kind of drunken slur as the pitch bends on the vocals Especially towards the end of a lot of the phrases. Yeah And to take that and, and just put it with a very solid but unchanging beat that that was one of the things that honestly usually ticks me off here, I love the fact that the beat is right in the hollow of your throat, right ab- right above your ribs. It's, it's down there. It's deep. It's, it's almost phlegmy, and that's a really positive thing here. The way it reverbs, the register is just perfect for
2: really hitting you pass your ears down in, like, the base of your skull. I thought also because it's impossible not to talk about that secondary vocalist, the backup vocalist here. Um, it's it, I think that these two guys, whoever they are, whether they were both members of Franz Ferdinand or the guy from Sparks as well, they're as as matched as Lennon and McCartney were in terms of just the way in which your, your vocals resonate with another human being. It's the kind of thing you can't plan. It's just serendipity.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I also want to go back to something Steve mentioned a little earlier about the interlude typically on songs when we get short interludes like that we feel that they're fleeting but what i think here is it doesn't feel fleeting because it feels like a breath of fresh air within the track Mm -hmm. that then melds with the rest of the song the instrumentation is so well and intermingled together that you don't really feel like it's fleeting you just go oh that's another thing
2: and then oh it fits with the rest of the other thing of course and they have a lot of experiences like that on this album and yet all things considered i think that this track only by comparison might be one of my least favorite tracks on the album? I think I'd say that there's only one track I like that, less. That you have a contender for? Yeah. yeah. And it's well, not, really it's not like that that's yet. by a serious margin because I no. love this track it's, but it's it's early on and we keep on stepping up the game so it puts earlier tracks, you know, a little bit on a lower pedestal I think it's because they want to you know, they don't want to reveal want their They want to wrap cards. this up and I mean the, the next song is no exception The there's, Dictator's Son. Dictator's Son is almost when, this, it's kind of when the album started showing its colors for me. This, oh yeah. This track is so fun it, it, it's relentless and yet it's all based on really simple tools like the the basic piano motif in the beginning rhythmically it's it's really immersive i mean it, it's simple but it's immersive it's a true hemiola uh, with with the accents falling feeling like they're in three because they work against the main rhythm which is unquestionably in four and the chords are pretty simple it's all between minor one and major seven just that little one chord uh one increment shift um so it, it's it's pretty easy just to get into this but it's not it's not wholly immersive until the chorus which kind of embodies the overall feel of this track because it sounds like you're running from something. It sounds like you're on the lam. You're, you're, it's, you, you your breath actually starts to feel a little bit short just listening to the song, and I think that's a wonderful conveyance. And yet, this is not really a, a pop track in the p- traditional sense because what are technically the verses here are almost like asides. They're almost like they're 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 uh, individual bridge. Like for instance, when I was talking about uh, the the opening segment where you first get the rhythm, there's a verse that follows that. Born in a far off land, a nation of heat and sand, a father who ruled by force, a mother who said, of course, a nation of fearful men and women afraid of them. But learning the family trade, my interest began to fade. And then the chorus, I'm a dictator's son, born with a silver gun, in a country that's half insane, in a country that's banned the rain. He kept his eye on me, knew I had plans to flee. Strangely today, it rained. I hopped a midnight plane. So he is, in fact, running, and it makes you feel that before I even really could grasp what these lyrics were saying, because I'm reading them now, and I was just enjoying it then.
1: Well, one thing that keeps the hemiola that's in the piano so interesting is the drum percussion that comes in, because that, it it marries the vocals and the piano just beautifully, because it, it does stay solid and fairly steady, but it's intricate enough to really do a lot to bridge all the, the little gaps and make the the steadiness of the piano feel a lot more complicated than it even is
0: yeah and also those drums almost feel combative when met with the urgency that the piano makes i think that it really kind of gives that real like he's under attack or he's running because he could be emotionally at least under attack but then when it goes into the verse Steve's putting it and it slows down it feels almost nursery rhyme-ish you know the way it kind of slows down and gets lighter
1: it feels like you're kind of telling a story which is important because he is he is telling a story well, those horns that come in as well as sort of like uh, leading edges of a lot of the lines give a sort of like a, a, the fox hunt kind of a feel to the track yeah. uh, it's, it's he's, he's talking about running away and you're getting a in front of a, of a lot of what he's saying but yeah when it slows down it gives a great lie to everything that's going on. Adds, and I love it. It adds a theatricality and a drama that isn't going to be a stranger to
2: this record as we go. But we get a real first sense of a narrative story with some drama. Well, they feel like soliloquies. They function yeah. like soliloquies because soliloquies are essentially not part of the 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 time-sensitive narrative. It's right. not It's not. They're, they're, they're separate. So of course you don't need to be running at that moment. You just had the thought in your head. Well. Fasten your seatbelts. We will soon land at LAX. Hope to see you again. Fasten your seatbelts. We soon will land at LAX. Hope to see you again. This is like, it, it's odd that it would actually be repeated. So it feels like the kind of thing that you're just mulling over in your mind. And it helps to to push the story further. And at that moment, especially, it is nothing like, and this is my point about it not really being pop structure, it is really nothing like the opening verse. Absolutely nothing. It, the, the, the whole... Uh, atmosphere of this particular verse, which I guess I have to call it a verse, but it feels more like a bridge. Um, again, not pop structure, so we gotta, you know, kind of make it up as we go. This is, it, everything is so snuffed out. You, All you hear is just these little guitars, a moody guitar in the background, and then the, the creepy whisper, fasten your seatbelts, we soon will land at LAX hope to see you it's, again it, and it is very much it, like a nursery rhyme. It almost feels
0: like the other parts are the nightmare of what he's running from yep. and then that is the flight attendant whispering in his ear to wake him up because he's asleep. He,
1: he's resting. Yeah. He's this, a- is, this is him actually in the journey of escaping. This is him yeah, yeah. escaping. It's it's the little interlude before he gets to his new location. Right. So we're, we're he's talking about this pursuit and he goes on and on somewhat reluctantly I tell her to sit down with me. We order drinks and wait. Small talk it's getting late. One thing you ought to know before we up and go. Hope it doesn't spoil the fun, but I'm a dictator's son. So yeah, he's back to the chase.
2: He started to explain it. But I love, and I believe, and next. I believe that was also in a for, in the form of the chorus. Using yes, it was,
1: it was. that get, giddy up and go kind of a yeah. feeling. It's a
2: pursuit. And the last thing I'll say about that also is it's another area. In fact, it was the initial uh, moment in which I really thought of the Pepper pots from Monty Python because yeah. it's when he he you know it's always on that final that final word. I tell her to sit down with me, and it just flutters away and sounds more like a woman's voice at that time. And it's 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 giddy, it's silly, but yet you still have the energy behind it. It's amazing. And then, uh, as John was about to say, we go properly into another verse-slash-bridge thing, very similar to the LAX bit, Um, but this time with a lot more content. I'm into 60s soul, Nat King Cole,
1: Harris Tweed, Bundaglissa. I'm into Wings and Dip, Girls Who Strip, Diesel Flicks, Party Mix. I'm into Hugo Boss, Dental Floss, Party Cruise, Jordan Shoes. I'm into Instagram, Bands Who Jam, Co-ed knees BLTs. Okay. So he's running from his father who's a dictator and a tyrant and everything <laughs> like and he's hitting on a stewardess. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what's happening. I love this layer. It's- I love this joke that they're putting in here. They have this song that's all about the fear of the pursuit, the 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 fox hunt that's going on right here and he still has enough time to start smoozing on the stewardess and I,
2: I just love it. He's still got that silver spoon in his mouth. I gotta say, as a pickup line, I, I've never tried. I, I'm into dental floss.
0: Yeah, and that,
2: that could work. Maybe. I know. mean,
0: maybe that's why, Steve, you're just doing it that's wrong. That's it, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I also like Later, instrumentally, after we get through the song further, and he even gets a little more serious about what he's running from and that he'll go back, we get this strange interlude but not strange because it's a problem just strange for where the song was but it's almost I call it kind of shreddy but it wasn't it was it was very a very heavy and intense interlude where you got a
2: buzzing bass and like some really cool rock. It was the third time or maybe the fourth time if you're counting the intro as right. part of these verse uh, interlude things. They function as all of the above because yeah. really the only place you feel kind of at home here is ironically when you're running. Yeah. That's that's the only anchor that the song takes you back to. Like even during the initial lyrics that, that, that John had read, the, the the music had kind of changed. It was similar to the first one where it was the, with the LAX bit. It was The music was similar to that except here the, the bass and the beat kick in which introduces this wonderful sway with that as he goes into those lines, you know, I'm into 60s soul, Nat King Cole. It's this, it's this glorious sway that, that develops out of nothing. Um, but then the one you're talking about is the most separate of all of yeah, them. And just... yet and yet, it's, it, I think it fills out the same time frame, the, set, the same mm-hmm. length of time. And it's this heavy metal guitar, this, this grunge that comes down like a 50-ton weight. And, and what an accompaniment, I mean, it, it almost seems like a complete aside, as if this were, you know, some indication that this uh, little scheme of his is not going to pan out, I don't know, I just loved it from it, a musical it, standpoint, even, that's it. <laughs> even though it
0: did stand out and feel like it could have been something separate, it is the way it bleeds in and then bleeds out that it makes it feel like part of the song, and because the rest of the song did jump all over a little bit, it just didn't feel out of left field that much. And
2: I enjoyed it because it, it showed some chops from the musicians, which I always love to hear. Well, he says, someday I'll return with a rebel force, overturn my father and change the course of history uh, for all of my countrymen. But I cannot tell you exactly when I'm a dictator's son. So uh he's got something cooking. I wish him the best. <laughs> I can't I can't tell you when though. Yeah. Like, like it's just like I'm
1: probably good just. That, that, go or live in it Hollywood. could just
2: be a line that he's delivering. Yeah, no, he's totally giving a line. And and I think that's just as amusing. And that and that outro, by the way, musically, it, it has this like closing it's almost a solo, but it's like the final hook. It's the single instrument uh that that it keeps the chorus format, but you're you're still running, but now it's a little bit grander. Um and it's it's being Narrated by this this musical simple melodic line, which is just like minor one three four five one three four five. It's very slow, very deliberate, and yet it feels so so vast, and you still feel like you're running all the way to the bitter end. Um, oh that was such an enjoyable track. Let's go. Let's, let's take it down a notch. This this is one of the few tracks in this album that actually does let you breathe, not unlike uh, Eleanor. Put your boots back on. Track four. Little guy from the suburbs. We are given right from
1: the get-go a very sad hero introduction with these horns. And I love Mm -hmm. this because it gets paired with, very quickly, the solo vocalist, and I don't mean just a single guy singing. I mean, like, it feels like he's the only one there. Yeah, singing. very
2: spotlight. The the horns are, are somber. It's the only genuinely somber track on this album and actually kind of feels it as it goes. Almost, almost. I would, I
0: would lean more towards somber than sad, only because somber indicates other things, too. And I felt like there are moments in this track, even in the very beginning, where it even gets thoughtful. Like, the hero whose reference in the song is ruminating on the events as he sings them. And so I wouldn't just
1: say flat out said. Iconically, it links to, in my mind, to something like Hulk walking away theme. Sure. The the classic sad hero song.
2: I had absolutely no comic book references with this album. It was it's in a, a world of its own. It was exactly. a television reference, Because uh, well, yeah. comic books don't make music. Well, yeah, but it that, that still originally was in the comic book. you. Oh, f-
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway,
0: so... Anyway, going I, I, back, yeah. I like that that kind of ruminating nature, because we didn't really have that. Like, the dictator's son hinted at it at the end, where he's talking about what he's going to do when he comes back. There's a little bit of rumination, but it's mostly still tongue-in-cheek. Here, you're actually getting some pretty thick
1: emotion. Both from the music and from the lyrics. Especially when that simple guitar just comes in and starts complimenting everything that's going on. It just starts filling it out, starts actually building up the story, but in subtle ways, in, in just enough of a way that it's not overshadowing anything else that's going on right here. Here, the theme, the story that gets presented, the lyrics that get presented are really a, a focal point for me, especially when the chorus steps in and you get these falling phrases on everything at the end it's just the vocals just keep going down and then down and then down and then down it it's almost in my mind the heroes fall like
2: vocally it feels like he's just becoming the lost defeated individual well once again we're coming from a place of humility he's just a little guy from the suburbs and he begins the the opening verse I'm just a little guy from the suburbs who learned to kill before the others. Romantic activist, I'm the Joker, I say Vive le Quebec Libre. But if you hear this, know when you hear this. You you'll you'll know I didn't. I didn't make it like I hoped we would. I didn't make it like I hoped we would. There's the defeat. Um, but you know, yes, you know, you know, and it's just—it just, uh, it just comes. It almost comes into place of obviousness. I mean, the funny thing it, here but, but, is but that what? really, his the, the animation in, it, despite that it sounds like he's just being very, you know, softly speaking his 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 piece. It really comes across very animated. Again, it's another sample of how animated his natural baritone really is. And um, it's in
1: it's in that closing part, sort of like the post chorus that gets put into this. No heroes, just those who care more for their legend than their life. There are no heroes in this life. I love the way that sort of is, is a period on this section. And he really, it, it, it's a period in each aspect of the song. Every time it comes up, it becomes sort of like the defining point of what you just heard. It gives you a moment to mull over it, to really just
2: experience it. And then you move on to the next part. It's kind of, it's almost a way of destroying fantasy. fantasy. You know, things are not always as they are made out to be in in most film most cinema most books it's just like eh, that's that's a little bit more that's us kind of patting ourselves on the back saying that our lives are really more grand than they actually are and this is kind of just digging at that a little bit there are no heroes he's just a little guy from the suburbs and that's kind of the end of the story it's it's an it's an ode to a very average life and and it's funny that you say specifically patting yourself
0: on the back because i felt like the kind of strummy southern gothic guitar that pretty much is throughout Felt was that comfort like it felt like a comforting friend pouting you on the back it, yeah it because it, it, cause it- perpetuated the song, it kept you going, it's kind of like, hey there buddy, let's keep going. It, it had that kind of comforting vibe to it, which is very interesting from just all the straight wh- up strumming all guitar. All the way
2: to the end as well. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a string, an orchestra uh, interlude at some point, which actually felt very much kind of like a Henry Mancini, uh, you know, in that spaghetti western vibe. Um, certainly the southern gothic background helps that, but then all of a sudden here, it's 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 all strings and it's just this... this melody, this ode to the quote-unquote hero, because of course he just said he's not, or, or there is none. It's well, just, it's... I'd like Listen to this. I tried, yes, I tried with a shy girl to live respectable, undecided. Fake existentialist, I'm the martyr. Steal from the bank, of Jean Paul Sartre, that is a depressing, depressing um, uh, stanza within the midst of this, because essentially, small victories or no victories. I tried with the shy girl. Oh, oh, how wonderful for you, you know. If that, if that, if that is analogous to the kind of. Um, feats that we take on, I suppose, as we expect heroes to take on, well, yeah, you're just kind of a guy. He's an everyday hero. He's an everyday hero. Mm. And then finally that fake existentialist I'm the martyr steal from the bank of Jean-Paul Sartre. For anyone who's ever read a little bit of Jean-Paul Sartre, I mean... To even suggest that he steals from the bank of Jean Paul Sartre—it's a lot of things that a lot of people like to apply to themselves, and uh, very often it is—it is, it is over-ingrandizing your life. Well, then there's—and the, he admitted there's it. There's the final verse:
1: "I am the little guy from the suburbs, but I learned to kill better than the others." What's that you said about execution? Oh, bring on the beatification, and that is sainthood. He's actually saying, oh, give me sainthood, give me this.
2: He's martyring himself. I think, and that, But I believe that's sarcastic.
1: No, no. Oh, I bring don't on
2: he, the beatification. That's I
1: mean, that's him throwing himself on his own cross, on the grenade whose pin he pulled, in this case. It feels like he is doing everything he possibly can to leave a legacy to make himself feel better.
2: I would disagree with that, only on the grounds that beatification is, in fact, sainthood. And I think that, following the, the lyrics prior, I believe that Comes across as as very cheeky. Oh, bring on the beatification! Like like I'm actually one to deserve it. It would be very consistent with the prior lyrics.
0: I think it's ambiguous enough though that it could really go any any way. I mean, he's kind of delivering in the same tone the
1: whole time, so you have to read into it based on context. Well, the context I got out of this is that some sort of pyrrhic victory has occurred because there is the sainthood he's a- striving for. Whether or not you think it's serious. There is a victory here in some small way, but a Pyrrhic victory is a victory that just ain't worth it. It's just complete and utter destruction of yourself, even though you win. Um, it's, it's, at the end of the day, if you suffer one too many of these victories, you will lose because there's no way to actually survive them. And here, that's what it feels like he's—even if he hasn't attained it, that's what he's striving it for. It feels
0: like he's achieved a win but hasn't won. Like, he won the battle, but not the war. I hear what you're saying, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of that, you know, he's been fighting, and, and, you know, he won a battle, but the whole career of a war has just not
2: worked out. Sort of like Germany winning, quote-unquote, winning in Russia over and over and over again until they get to St. Petersburg. You could pull that from almost any line here, even beginning off the romantic activist I'm the Joker, but there's still a lot of self-deprecation in the midst. Sure. No, I I agree. And the musical tone certainly conveyed that. Uh, I just, I certainly enjoyed it in context as a a breather from the album that that showed it wasn't going to be all smiles and sunshine, and yet still, I kind of found a sort of solace in in this track, and I believe that he does expect you to. It, it, the, the melody flows very smoothly, and you just you just get to, you know, live with his voice for a little it's, while. It's almost lullaby-esque in moments, yeah. so that it's soothing in that respect as well. All right, let's go to track five, Police Encounters. Um. Real quick here, there's about a five-second electronica intro that's meant to sound a little bit cheesier, more like what we would get back on, like, that Neon Indian album, but most of the track... Really, most of the intro, excuse me, begins more like it's in in a pop song. It's, like it's in a pop world. It brings in this grand orchestral back- backdrop, which I find very frequently. It sounds very big, sounds very dramatic. Um, major one, minor three. I've heard this many times. It usually loses power with me after about 30 seconds, which is about the time. That they changed it up yeah as if they like read my mind that i was going to you know well not that i'm like you're really thinking about me here but seriously this is like I, they went a direction i had never expected th- this track to go in their their vocals first just on this transition itself the vocals perform this very strange glissando from e upwards let me just uh read the opening lyrics from the west coast gonna take a plane hit the east coast gonna take an a train Hit the East Coast going all the way, and he slides that up until all of a sudden this this grand orchestral backdrop, it's done. It just snuffs out, and now all of a sudden, this is back to Franz Ferdinand. This is a... a funk or rather just Franz Ferdinand happy dance track, which is actually even a lot more intricate than some of the stuff that they used to do. And it was real a real lift uh, for me with, with how I took this album. Why don't you come to Harlem and the drums are in sync, the bass is in sync. The bass is actually one of my favorite parts here. I love Everything about it. It is so well mixed. It's so dynamic. It's so well written against the chords It's bouncing along in its own little world. It's jaunty. Ah. It's, at the end of the day It's a really jaunty just sort of a
1: strut track But one thing I'd really like is the strings that are over on top of everything that and which, got... are, which
2: are light. They're not completely snuffed out. They come back here in, in yeah, spurts and just, they, they are a reintroduced like in ways
1: It's so smooth on top of all this like you said the the up and down felt just like pt barnum like it's all it's up and down and all around nothing stays (laughs) level there's there's it's it's an earthquake going on right here that's exactly what it's on the in the the bass as well
2: except the strings and i love that the strings, yeah, I, I don't want to make it sound as if this track completely like ditched the first thirty seconds. They kind of, they kind of uh, develop, um, they develop context as it go- as it goes, because it becomes a, a a dance track for sure, really really fun. But at the same time, the strings are kind of still there. They remain a constant element, even especially like by the time this this verse is wrapping up, you realize they they're still there. It's just they're not the most prominent thing anymore. Um, but then we go into this pre-chorus, which is pretty interesting. Then I see you standing there in your dyed black hair and no underwear and the chords here going from like b minor down to f sharp minor a minor e minor it's like it's because everything is minor here and thus it's sort of skipping downward in parallel motion we're not changing uh we're not changing the mode everything is minor it feels like this chorus is deteriorating and then we get the chorus which after this deterioration is almost mindless happiness Bom bom diddy diddy, bom bom diddy diddy, bom bom diddy diddy, and it's just police that. encounters. Ah, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so
2: bouncy. I think what really
0: locks this song in for me is that after that first thirty seconds that you mentioned at the top, which did seem like it could have gone in a predictable pop structure direction and then completely gives you the middle finger and runs the other way. Yeah, the lyrics do the same thing. After we get a few verses of something that kind of makes sense, we get a chorus that makes. No sense, and I'm even more intuned and in enjoying it because I've let go
1: of context, lyrically. and
0: I'm just getting yeah. wrapped
1: in lyrically. Yeah, it's all theme at this point. the The, the track itself is very impulsive. When things shift, the yeah. only real part of the track that's that's the cohesive piece, that's the glue, is the beat, is is the rhythm section. Everything else just decides, uh, you know what, let's
2: let's get a little bit airier, or let's get a little bit deeper, or you know what, let's just do the beat. Impulsivity is really at the heart of this album, and for once I'm I really am not feeling on my uh critics high horse here. <laughs> I feel like they pull it off, they integrate it, and normally when they take an impulsive turn, I'm like, all right, show me the next turn. What else you got? It's great. Well what's um,
0: worked so far I think, is that when they make those turns they don't go, turn around and go back. They they make that turn and keep going.
1: There's a touchstone
0: That's what there. I meant before when they, I said yeah. they stick the landing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they just they stick the landing and they keep moving and I think that works so well because if they did repeat themselves on any tracks, it would be obvious. Absolutely. But because they're making a left and then a right
1: and then a left and then a right, they're never they're never coming back on themselves. In fact, in one rendition of the chorus, they actually get rid of the beat, but it's mm-hmm. that bump, bump, diddy, diddy, bump, bump, that actually propels
2: the rhythm section to keep the whole of the unit together. Actually, in, in one of the choruses, uh, it was either the second or the third, it, they, it, it wasn't just a mere like funk dance pop kind of thing instead it was like thrashing yeah. it was actually doubled the bomb bomb diddy diddy bomb bomb it was actually combined with a crash cymbal and it just it was just this this muddy crash cymbals on every single beat making it more and more intense again ramping up the energy which is already you know at at. Peak mass. It's I I absolutely love this. It's all it's all rhythm and and all all texture to a degree that we don't normally find uh, because the music just flows so well. It, texture is a weird animal because you can either notice it from like a, a, an academic standpoint or it could just work. You know, we say texture. I think a lot in terms of like. Academically, yes. That is a nice idea that you threw in there. But I don't think it always makes the music inherently better. Sometimes it is just to put stuff in front of your face. And here, it's the exact opposite. When texture comes in, it it's a part of the song and you, you don't question it once it's there. It adds a dynamic that otherwise, if wasn't there, we would notice it and it would yeah. feel emptier. It works on the most fundamental of levels. So let's go to track six, Save Me From Myself. And now for something completely different, oh. harpsichord! A harpsichord right away! May I just say this is so British. Oh, it's well, so nice. British, I love it. Not <laughs> even so British, but so theatrical.
0: Like I said drama earlier, but we get a full out rock opera here. And like, on a level that we would have expected from when we did Vice Quadrant. But here, like, from the minute the song starts, I feel like I'm in the lab of a mad scientist. Even though that's not quite what the song is about, that's yeah. the
1: feeling I get. Well, it's the umpa with oomph that comes in to complement that harpsichord. It's it's the kind of, uh, I guess there's there's really no other way to, to describe it, but it just gets you going. And it feels like one of those aside soloist kind of pieces what? that are just inherent in... Operatic or contemporary operatic. I, I, w- I would say pieces.
2: I would say it feels that way because the instruments have a way of really becoming a character at this moment, rather than just serving the role for the song. Instead, they serve a role as an independent figure. Like there is a there's a moment here. Actually, come to think of it, in both the verses and the and the pre-choruses, the guitar always feels like it's like it's following on what the vocals are saying. Unlit streets and alleys, I don't care. I will stroll as if I'm on the Côte d'Azur. Muggers, pimps, and bangers everywhere. I don't feel the danger, though I'm told it's there." And it becomes a little bit more jaunty at that moment. But each, uh, my point is that along each and every one of these phrases, the guitar is sort of following this. It's following that it, it, it feels like it's a sidekick, just coming along with him for the journey. And then in the pre-chorus, back in my apartment all alone, I feel a chill, who can I phone? Back in my apartment, all alone. It's only me. I'm not alone, and it feels like here at this moment, the the, the guitar is really more doing a call and response thing. It's very it's very personable, and I've never described it, a, a guitar as such. And then finally, we erupt with the uh, this chorus: "Save me, save me, save me from myself." And it's mostly mostly just that that one line here. Um, until he says, "Who is that confronting me? Who is that in front of me?" It, it, it's it's you, you're immersed in, in in the fear throughout this song and yet it, it's it's kind of a it, it's it's a PG fear <laughs> Well, it's it feels very much like I said
0: before like a rock opera, which, you know, gives it a structure, and then these lyrics create the first kind of true narrative we've gotten. A lot of other songs was storytelling in a sense of like reminiscent or even kind of abstract. Here, this is directly in the moment
2: telling a story, telling a fear. But whereas there would be a Big Bad, let's say, in a rock opera, where there would be like a Grendel-type figure, the dragon you have to fight, the guitar makes it sound like that's the case, instead the Big Bad here is himself. Yeah, he's the Big Bad, the instruments
0: are the friendlier character.
1: And to speak about that uh, theatrical feel, the choir kind of style that's in the chorus, the way the vocals sort of falling, another time where the vocals are falling, but it's a completely different idea. It, it They sort of lower the register yet rise up in the air at the same time. It's a beautiful, like, and it's not an effect this time, it, it's just them belting it out and it works so well. With that sort of desperation that's in the the idea that the the chorus is portraying. Well, every
0: verse also, and every chorus that comes around, the stakes get higher. The the song ramps up and builds.
2: As if also, as if it were like a um, like a traditional poem, like a, a a song like since I said Beowulf, let's uh, or Grendel, let's go with that Beowulf. Beowulf. Um, there are little stanzas. There are stanzas that usually go for a long ways, and that's a segment of the story. And that's there is such a harsh cut at the end of these choruses. It just, it's its a full break. The chorus rings out to silence. Then we break for like a second or two. And then in we get verse two as if the whole thing were being restarted. And then it, it's like an, you know, another leg of the journey, That's let's say. That's another
0: thing that
1: gave it that theatrical feel. It
2: yeah, feels like that,
0: we're getting these brief scene changes almost. Yeah.
1: And you're and right, then, Matt, it feels like it's ramping up because the content themselves, I mean, we do in that later e- in the third verse, Sewer living creatures striking fear, tramping this way steadily, they'll soon be here. Who tonight's undoing her brazier? Answer so, no, it isn't you. That much is clear. So, he's also hallucinating at this, this point. This, this not is just what made himself, it feel like a mad scientist, almost. But like. there's monsters in the sewers, and they're going to... Must live gonna, in New York. They're, they're, they're eating... Uh, well, there's... Yeah, alligators. That's besides and the point. And Turtles.
2: But let's not forget what happened just prior to that, because um, they actually supplanted, um, or rather inserted between the cycle of, of verse, pre-chorus, some um, break, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, break... Now there was actually a complete shift. And it's the first time where I actually said, Hello Danny Elfman. Yeah. Because they shift gears. It's, it's, it's a kind of bridge where suddenly you're... It, it, it's a nightmare before Christmas with the... Replete with the candlelight choir, the gothic overtones. And, and this is something where I would say, This is a random choice. In any other album I'd say this is a completely random choice. In a less self-aware product. Because this is so self-aware, though, they and they have the rock opera feel from the get-go, I feel like this is a logical step, in fact. It really it, did like, feel natural. Like, it was surprising, for sure, but surprising in the best of ways when you're listening to an album for the first time. It, it follows not just naturally, but enchantingly. So, essentially, I I, I feel this, this transition as naturally following the chorus, as I did the work of Oingo Boingo into Danny Elfman's large-scale compositions, if that analogy is 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 reaching anyone out there, uh, I encourage you to comment on the co- on the comment board and uh, support me, because I, I I think this is thoroughly Danny Elfman, I think it's cert- it's an influence for sure. Um, Oingo Boingo was a big influence, I think, maybe even for uh, Franz Ferdinand in their early days, and it, it's 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 the perfect homage. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that.
0: I think that because of the stakes that this song builds, that transition seems less ridiculous because it, it feels like a drama unfolding. It feels like Watching a show or watching a play. It really does. And it, it serves to keep you on your toes. It's instantly engaging, too. Yeah. From the moment the song starts, you get kind of sucked in. And all that and is. And you just... o- only want to follow it stronger. Yeah.
2: And all through all that, all they're just doing is, is sort of save, uh, savoring certain elements of, of the chorus. Save me, save me, save me from myself. Ooh, save me. Yeah. Da, 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 da. It's very, very fanciful. And then we go into the. Um, uh, the the next verse that John started mentioning, sewer living creatures striking fear, and uh, yeah, he just kind of on for the ride till the end. We get one more chorus, and then this whole structure just kind of winds down to a pure piano with vocals before they finally u- utilize that break again. Yeah. And after that break, then we restart it with the verse that John read before, sewer living creatures striking fear, and we have one more round of that until until we're out. Yeah. It's. It's. Uh, I would watch this narrative visually also. Oh, you were like, saying before yeah. you want this video. Yeah, and, and it really would make a great video. I
0: agree. I just. I picture almost a Tim Burton esque, and we get even more of that later. But I kind well, of.
2: When your brain goes to Daniel, it goes to nasty. Tim Burton. That's true. Yeah. All right. Track seven. So desu ne. Oh my God! Someone take the song, or I'm going to spludes the microphone, please. Okay. <laughs> so. We've gotten plenty of
0: upbeat tracks at this point, but this one kicks it in hard. It's frantic from almost the moment it starts because we get relentless piano work. And I mean relentless and playful. It's just, it's up and down, it's left and right, it's it's, it, 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 it's attacking your
2: brain from the minute it starts. Yes, this song is a f***ing drug. <laughs> That's, that is how many times I have listened to this track because I became addicted to it. Um, that said, it works with such small elements. It's another one of those uh, essentially minimalist tracks. If for instance, you were just to hone down on those uh, individual components from the very beginning, each five second increment of layering threw me for a loop in the best of ways. Now that I have listened to it uh, about 50 times, I'm kind of familiar with it. But again, it works with these little cells. I do this at the piano all the time. I, I come up with, with little patterns. Normally, I would never have the balls to actually release those small patterns, those components, as complete tracks. And that's where this succeeds through what Glenn Gould had once called intuitional creativity. That's what I was talking about earlier. It it, it banks on intuition every step of the way. The piano motif, specifically, almost never ceases throughout the song. And it's incredibly simple. It just has this little round. But does that mean that it doesn't grow and reshape itself? No, this track is actually masterful at that. Uh, First off, one of my absolute favorite things about this track, apart from it just being addicting as hell, is that it has two dominant hook components. One being that piano, which is unmistakable. You notice it from the get-go, you'll be noticing it till the very end. But that basically just seesaws up and down with the first five notes of the minor scale. Then there's this main melody overhead, a kind of synth celesta, which just roughly travels up and down the A major 7 chord and also adds in the 6. But when the synth rises to that 6, from its perspective, it's actually the one for F sharp minor, then the the piano is on the low end of the curve, at the low F sharp. And then when the synth goes low to C sharp, the piano goes high to C sharp, same pitch this time. So the whole track has this hypnotic feel because it's like two crisscrossed sine waves they close in tight and then they expand by like a balloon and then they close in tight again and I just love that as a, as a as a core component a simple idea that just drives this forward and keeps me engaged by the fact that no it doesn't technically change up that much not from a verse and chorus perspective. let's just look at the lyrics here because uh, <laughs> I could describe this musically but it, it I don't even think the lyrics are really going to help describe this at all let's just see. She's a mountaineer of love. She's climbing Mount Fuji. Nothing
1: but a Kenzo kimono on. Carrying a Hello Kitty Uzi. Carrying a Hello Kitty Uzi. Carrying a Hello Kitty Uzi. Hello Kitty Uzi. And then the chorus steps in. So desune, that's all she'll say. So desune, so desune, so desune, jane. Now here's the cool part. She's basically saying, it is, isn't it? She's doing a sure. A sure? It's a yeah. very polite yeah. sure, yeah. but she's going, sure. Sure. Yeah. That's all she'll say. Mm-hmm. And that's what she says. She's agreeing. <laughs> the, the she's Im- being polite and agreeing. The imagery is so strong
0: <laughs> here, but it sounds like this lead character, the she, is stepping out of an anime. A typical anime where a, a lead character would have feminine wiles and seem delicate,
1: but she's also carrying a damn gun. Yeah. And it's, yeah. so it's this dichotomy that's really strong and potent. The smile is small and petite, but the eyes are those giant upside-down
2: U's that are just so endearing. It's it's, it's it's ridiculous and and it's 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 entrancing and yet it all seems to be in his mind because if all she's saying is sure then it doesn't even really seem to be accurate it seems to be just this this his his little fictional inflation of maybe this real girl and then this is how he sees her well there's also or maybe that's actually just her catchphrase as the character you could take that either way really there's also the
1: next sure. verse <laughs> she's an ambulance sometimes. Her blue light blinking on a two beat. Paranoid paratrooper paramedics drive arrive and check your heartbeat, check your blood pressure. Gonna eat your beans and eat your leisure. Gonna check your blood pressure. Gonna push your push your blood pressure
2: well. Uh, and I love the bounciness <laughs> you, of this too. No, no. I think you just I I cannot stop moving throughout this entire check your blood pressure. Gonna eat your beans and eat your leisure. Gonna and I just love the way he holds that note. Everything is just is just in sync with this track. I can't. I can't convey it you just if if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about right now please just listen to this just listen listen to this track now we bank on you having listened before but if you haven't please do yeah Yeah. but there's this echo in the vocals and as the song progresses
1: it gets gets more more and more pronounced the digitalification uh, digitalizing I
2: don't know what either or works we'll go with either this is about as electronic as this band probably gets on this album there are other moments but for sure not a lot
1: the voice starts falling apart and breaking down especially in that that last verse chorus combination it becomes a as all these different lines just start getting thrown together, I really think it's a machine talking to an anime character. At the end of the day, it just feels like that. The way it gets thrown back and forth, maybe it's like another computer that's playing these different anime things. It's it's computer love. I don't
2: know, and I don't care. Sure. Sure. yeah. yeah. That's, she, really like that's these, what she would be, say. That's what I'm saying.
0: But what I do like is also <laughs> as the unwinding tra- the, 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 the track does, which works really well with what John is saying towards the end, it kind of almost falls apart. It glitches. Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it it does it does fall apart as if it were, I suppose, like a broken machine. Like this thing was just stuck on constant loop. And if you were judging from the piano, you would think, oh yeah, well it is stuck on constant loop. But like I said before, does that mean this doesn't reinvent itself? No. Th- each and every time, for instance, it takes that that sine wave feel. It takes this this little piano element and starts adding something. The next round, it throws in a third there. Now this now the piano, which has just got this bright tinny sound, has is 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 uh, playing. Around in thirds, doing essentially the same pattern. Later on, they throw one more element, which is like either a fourth or a fifth above, and it starts travel, or maybe a sixth above, and it starts traveling in sixths. And that is really immersive. It has actually a, a separate component, but it's it's all in it's all in a a kind of you take it as a kind of unison. I. It's these little subtle elements which I think makes what what a lot of people might dismiss as a oh, it's a simple Repetitive song sure it's fun, but it's repetitive I think it makes this track actually a lot more innovative to me And of course if you were to take it that way if you were to take it as just this constant this constant repetition uh, ceaseless um, unremitting then you would expect it just to kind of play on forever and they imply that it would, if someone didn't pull the plug at that last moment, at the moment that you mentioned when everything just deteriorates, like everything's just running until every little last drop of electricity is, is done. Uh, next track. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so from here we go to track eight, which is The Man Without a Tan. And this, this we get something that I personally have been craving for a while. And I feel that there aren't enough bands doing this on the whole, but I'll take a track. We get some good, honest to good, Rock and roll,
2: like really was, rock and roll. It was weird. It feels snappy, snappy. Rock like you can snap and your And that's, almost, onto that's it. almost implying like we didn't get it earlier, but, but, this but is, yeah, this is a little a little more retro. In it a was more way. at its core here than in the other tracks. There were elements of it in the other track, but here it's and kind I, of the embodiment. Ironically role. enough, I actually just took that to mean well, it's Franz Ferdinand, which is <laughs> which <laughs> right. is funny because you know yeah all right you you see it a little bit more retro, but I guess Franz Ferdinand always had that retro component. I just see it as, as Franz Ferdinand. It's going a little bit back to the core here and yet there's nothing is 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 shaved off. I mean, this is an extremely fun track in its own right. We're kind of going to be keeping with the same tone here. It begins just like an indie rock track. We get all members singing uh, the, the baritones in the group and then the way the guitar comes in because this is another a little subtle element here. About 37 seconds, this guitar comes comes in as, as its own independent melodic phrase just uh, kind of comping along the rest and then it holds this note Mid-phrase. This is while everybody's singing. It holds this note mid-phrase and just indulges in this this ninth. And then it continues the phrase. Little subtle things like this make this track just as enjoyable. Um, but that's that's just the, the tip of the iceberg, because this track has many, many more surprises to you. Do they stick with this indie rock feel? No. About 48 seconds in, we get this little ditty. This little doubled between the strings and the harpsichord, the kind of thing that only George Martin would do, frankly. George Martin, the technically the fifth Beatle. And it just, it works its way awkwardly down D minor and finally lands this track at the minor four. Great tool for transition. It seems completely separate. Seems like it's just them having fun, but like I said earlier, in the words of Glenn Goulds, and this is actually another part of a similar quote on intuitional creativity, this is the kind of thing that just that it validates us. It proves that the next component of, of, of music, the next component of the of the track of the piece, whatever you're writing, is not just a a, a uh, from random action. its It validates our choices from one minute to the next and it's what every single artist is 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 seeking and somehow they pull it off here. Whereas I'm sure there might be other naysayers out there but that's just what this guy thinks. They, they absolutely pull it off and what's interesting about how they pull it off is that we go back
0: into that rock and roll kind of feel but then we get a brief breath and the strings come in perfectly intermingled with the rock and roll perfectly connecting to that almost bizarre interlude we got and I'm a sucker for violins and rock and roll. Every time. Every damn time. It's
1: the one-two punch that we get with this orchestral infusion. It's it's the interlude and then the fact that you immediately get it back. It's not courtesy. Nothing is courtesy here. There's no that nods of fleeting. Here's a horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's something like this. Here's... No, we when when something gets used, it will be used to the fullest of its extent. Right, when you got the strings earlier in
2: that little 48 second back. ditty, and they, come, they back. come back as this, as actually a main thematic component of the chorus. This is right in the chorus when it does this. The man without a tan. Da-da, da-da. The man without a tan. Da-da, da and, yeah. and sometimes it withholds. Sometimes it, you expect it and then it doesn't quite do it. You'd have to really you listen to the song into the ground to to recognize when it's going to do it. And when it comes in, it's just so satisfying.
0: And I feel that those strings really add a much-needed weight to that chorus that without it would have felt a little empty. But because uh, yeah. it's infused together, it really just adds that extra
1: weight that really pulls you into that chorus. It really does a lot to also vilify the man without a tan because all the upbeatness that's going on right here, when you add strings, you're going to get a shift. So adding strings to this, this happy-go-lucky kind of presentation
2: does a lot to kind of turn it a little bit. Does a lot to actually throw some onus on the man. Well, let's look at who the man is. The man without a tan came strolling into town. He had the whitest collar, and he brought a scene around. Girls were all a-drooling, hummed the lullaby. The men were all suspicious, but they didn't know just why. The man without a tan, he's a threat to you and me. He has the kind of hands that you might see on your TV. And if he touched your woman, how the hell could she resist? I'm sure he'll entertain her with a little bit of this. And then, our rugged handsomeness is no match for... And I love... He has so much fun with this line. He just... He's... Our rugged handsomeness is no match for... And he's just, like... He's actually being the crooner for the man that he should hate. And that man is personified
1: with those strings. I mean, it's... He'll entertain her with a little bit of this strings. Yeah. There you go. And then they come back in the chorus a little bit, just to reiterate that point. But
2: one of the coolest little things that's going on here... It's funny... It's, I just I gotta throw in it's it's really funny to actually experience this on the musical level and then to go back and read how things are actually prompted by the lyrics. Because it's true I didn't actually notice that. When the thing I'm talking about at forty eight seconds, yeah, I'm sure I'll entertain her with a little bit of this and then that's the entertainment. This 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 sort of like you know, well, oh we had a, a day at yes. the Met. Or yes. apparently twelve uh, ten seconds at the Met. <laughs> well that's better than some men. But here <laughs> we're
1: we're also getting one one little piece that shows up first in the guitar and then later on shows up really Really nicely in the chorus And that is the phrasing And the way things sort of elongate In the beginning the guitar Elongates its final notes in the chorus Just to to draw out the kind of Clip nature that's going on with everything else It rings out an extra half second To a second just yep. to to Extend itself to really call out A little bit too much Oh yeah that
2: was the thing I was talking about at, at About uh, 37 seconds in. Yeah,
1: And then when it comes back Much later on with the actual lyrics And that final like elongated big momentous chorus and then you came right out and said you are my man, and then man gets drawn further and further until it, it really instead of it being a three beat line, it ends up being that fourth final beat, really yeah. completing the phrase. There's a lot of it. it seems like it's ind- so indulging. beautiful. Yeah, in-
2: indulging is really where where they take these tracks to the next level. Um, and they have another element where they uh, another moment in this track where they completely indulge, kind of a kind of interlude bridge where it's just piano chords only. It's it it's it feels almost like a I don't know, this this could be George Martin, it could be any band from the 70s, it, it's, so many bands maybe could have done this, I'm just going to pin it to them because they're original and I'm going to give them the credit for it. Um, it's just singular piano chords here. Everything else is gone. Meanwhile, he sings. I overheard my girlfriend on her landline telephone. She thought I couldn't hear her, but she really should have known. The man without a tan was on the line and being cute. I stood back in the shower as I was fuming in my boots. And then it's right back into the main thing. But but for the duration of that, it's just this like one guy and a piano. This little accompaniment. Just just coming up with actually a really interesting chord progression, come to think of it. For all that this was, like, pared down, that chord progression was was more interesting. It was an expansion on what would have been done in a similar or analogous, uh, well, I guess there is nothing analogous, because this actually is the bridge. So, it was a, a unique moment in the song, and then we're right back on cue. Our rugged handsomeness is no match for The Man Without His Hand, following chorus. And you just dance on to the end, as many of these tracks you do, and you're want to do. Anybody else? No, that's a pretty good summation. I'm getting more excited about this album as it goes on, but I did, after all, hint at that. Let's go to track nine, Things I Won't Get. You're talking about getting excited. This This was
1: the first time I was just... Oh, man, this one I just went right into. This was a dry malaise on top of everything else because we're not getting our normal vocalists. Here, while there is animation going on, it's a lot more deadpan as he's going... A Pulitzer Prize, an Oscar or two Are things I won't get Things I won't get A Bentley or Benz. Well, don't hold your
2: breath Of things I won't get of things I won't get here. The it's the depression is like material, right there. Material things he's talking about at this moment. Just material things that he that he won't get. And yet the tone is really interesting here because yes, it it is certainly a far cry from what we've been getting for the last three four tracks. Now it's it's not as a beat. It's it's not something you really dance to. Instead, actually, it takes some it's some cues here. I feel from like the new wave era of like the early eighties. Um, John was I I think right on the money with calling this kind of a malaise there's a rel- there's a, a relaxed but just tired of uh, drudgery through this, and he, it's it's his it's almost like out of a diary entry. And musically, yeah, this track is set definitely a breather, but it's resigned to the fact that he will not get these things, which is why simultaneously, along the, with the fact that it, it could be interpreted as comparatively speaking to the previous two being more solemn, I think there is. A little bit of resolution uh, there's there's depression but there's resolution in the fact that he at least now knows that he will not get these things like they're just out of his reach that's depressing but if you at least knew it's like the old question well if you knew the day you were going to die would you just be terrified or would you have a kind of satisfaction rather than constantly looking over your shoulder every five seconds you could plan things out better and i feel this is very analogous it's just like well you're never going to get these things so you can stop shooting for them and and put your you know put your money in different places
0: it it shifts the focus of how they're delivering their messaging this is very matter of fact and probably the first song i think out of any of them to have a social message too which we'll get to yeah or just a very very strong message at all cuz the second verse while well, the first verse was physical things the second verse is th- more theoretical things, like in
2: the literal theories. String theory and such are things I won't get, things I won't get. Schoenberg and 12-tone are f- and films out of French are things I won't get, things I won't get. I mean, uh, this is a little aside for me, and it's a little personal. Uh, I may have said in the podcast before that I have a music theory and comp background. Uh, you can't escape Schoenberg and the 12-tone system if you're studying music theory. It, it's it's not for everybody, and that's um that's an understatement. It's not for most people. It's it's something that it's very not for most humans with ears. Yes, specific. Some composers like to take music in that direction. It's not really my cup of tea. I appreciate what he was doing, though. I believe there were contemporaries that that were doing more interesting things. But the thing about Schoenberg and the twelve tone system is it's difficult and it's more mathematical. It's 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 very math based. In fact, maybe John would like it. But <laughs> but um you know it, it's it's. It's, you take it with a grain of salt, and it's not something, that, it's not something that, you, that everyone will get, and I think that's the more important point on the table, is that as a—clearly, as a composer, because just the fact that he undertook this entire project, and the fact that he's been in a band for so many years, he knows a little something about music, and I think that's an understatement. I, I think this is an implication that he actually had tried to, to, to understand what the 12-tone system is, and maybe he is actually just telling us right here, this is, this is beyond my grasp. Which is another case of humility, even still following along those lines. You always have these humble, nope, this is just, this is where I am, this is what I'm good at, and I believe I can, I can do good in this particular field. And I think considering the amount that I've raved about it, I'm glad he has made that choice. I do not necessarily want to see Franz Ferdinand go 12-tone. Well, um, be interesting, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's interesting also that
0: the structures that these take, that the first verse was physical, the second verse was theoretical, and then the third
2: verse, if you'd stare with us, Steve, goes in an even different direction. The third verse is, The world is so hard, the people so mean, of things I don't get, things I don't get. We sit on the floor and talk about dreams of things we won't get, things we won't get. It's the social aspect the social aspect of life, the, the, that the things that frankly are maybe, to some people, um, more difficult than the previous two. And what I love here musically is that the whole track at
1: this point drops out to just the piano. And it's 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 kind of a trick. If you want to go off, you want to go pan in an idea. What you do is you simplify the words and you simplify everything else. So what do they do? They simplify the music. It's just one of the lines, one of the layers that they've been building upon and building upon and building upon, just to promote the idea of air, of big, of open. It is so thematically perfect for this moment. I've uh, yeah. This is where everything just starts really becoming great on just, this album where, I love this album things start
2: crystallizing
1: for yeah you. this is where everything just starts coming together thematically and musically that while I loved everything up until this point here was an instant where I just went oh yeah yeah I get it
0: this have- song would inspire me to add a new category for a year in review for 2016 and that's best song theme because this is the first time I've really gotten a sense of probably since um, it was a Jack White song we did that also had a very crystallizing theme about privilege but here mm. like I think this is in, the only entitlement, a, I think entitlement. It, was, yeah. it was entitlement yes this is the only song that I feel like can compete with a crystallizing theme in a song that I'd want to rave about the problem because, is I don't know that
2: there would be much competition and it, ha- and it has here. to do not just with subject matter but also with execution yes. when the execution it's is is almost more brilliant than just the subject matter. Anybody can can pull a subject matter from anywhere. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this in my song, but do you really convey it at the end of the game? I think this is a wonderful way to to encapsulate every all of our hopes and our desires, and then kind of boil them down to maybe the things that are important in life. For instance, that chorus. But when I see you lying by my side, looking extra clean, I'm in a state where I don't mind my thoughts turn obscene. And I mean, it's not just it's, the words. It's, it's the kind of the moment takes over for the the, the, the other things he's, he's looking forward to. It brightens up. It gets it gets
1: into the much higher we- register and everything sort of gets like woozy and warbly. But it doesn't quite lose the depression that was there. So it's almost a stillborn happiness. The malaise just doesn't go away. So it's still just, it's almost like he's settling or it's just, at the end of the day, it's mundane
2: happiness. He's settling, but is also an implicate when my thoughts turn obscene. I think it's the moment that, well, you know, when you're having sex, do do all these things really matter? I think that's at least, I mean, granted, of course, that would be a really, I, I don't want to, like, simplify his whole idea down to that, but certainly within that one line, I think it is the the moment, the, the intimate moment that you're having with someone else you know, the, it kind Those of other everything else they much. melt away, yeah. and and it kind of pales in comparison. So yeah, then, but, but, and that's what I think the the, the guitars there are really meant to, to to symbolize, because the guitars they sound very, of course, they sound they sound uh, uh, moody and warped, but they also sound very wet and sensual. And it's the first time I actually, considering that line, started interpreting this as as more of a. Uh, the the scene of the two of them, you know, and then it's all this stuff external, so he's always going back and forth, back to forth, back and forth going from, you know, material things to, uh, to theories to bigger things, and then finally to social things it's just like, next to all of that the chorus is really where you want to be but he can't escape from that loss, that things he's not getting, because the
1: chorus is directly built upon the verses and musically. So the through lines are still there. All the major components are still there. You can't. They're uh, just distorted and sort of just pushed to the side, never completely removed. You well, would, can't just screw forever. <laughs> well,
0: I would also argue that this is him singing to his partners, telling her all the things he doesn't get that maybe she
2: or he, whoever the partner is, does. And now we're finding some scary layers. (laughs) yeah and i
0: think that's a really unique thing to have i think that the idea that he's singing about a partner which i assume is a she but it could be a he but either way a romantic partner that gets stuff you don't but you're saying eventually at the end of the day when our thoughts turn obscene it doesn't matter what i don't get about you
2: it could also be what he just doesn't get about himself or what he can't get. So, in other words, that's where you might want to be, but maybe it's not where you should be. It's right. the kind of thing that, well, that may be a case of avoidance. And actually, I think that is just as equally conveyed by those guitars, just sort of warbling in the background. They sound, something sounds uneasy about them. They don't just, yeah, maybe they sound central in one perspective, but to another perspective is, is, uh, this is, this is not a good place. This is a foreshadowing, just lingering, it's, it's, it's hanging over your head. Um, and then back to the verses. So, yeah, um, I agree. I think this is definitely a track that, that uh, could be a contender for spurring a new category at the end of the year. But actually... Um, it also makes this one of... I, I think, considering that I still find this this track catchy, just like many other tracks on this album, not as a beat, but certainly catchy, it makes it almost the the catchiest, like existentialist album that I've I've ever heard because there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of him, him being very concerned about his his overall well-being here but are you really here am I really here or are we just figments of other people's imaginations
1: that's right uh, you guys a, could was be, there an accent there didn't, uh, I was I trying didn't I, we but, talk about like, that
0: I in one it. episode that you guys are just a figment of my imagination I thought it was my imagination oh maybe it was yours it was I don't really but it's definitely come up ugly. on the podcast before and, if, our, if our server ever blew up then yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty <laughs> much technically um, from here we go to track 10, which also has probably one of my favorite th- uh, themes and structures for a song on the whole album. We hinted at this style before, but The Power Couple, which is track 10, is the Danny Elfman, Tim Burton-inspired theatrical song we've been waiting for but,
2: that we didn't know we wanted. But more so, if we're throwing out the word Danny Elfman, the word, the name, okay, he's Im- he's not just a word, but... um boingo boingo yeah for sure it's it's that because oh yeah earlier on I I mentioned Danny Elfman when we were of course getting the grandeur and then the clearly classical influenced grandeur of what you might find in the soundtrack to uh, Nightmare my Nightmare Before Christmas, but here, right. oh, it's so it's so upbeat, but certainly, um, I'll indulge John here in the word he threw out there before. This might be the only macabre moment on the album, just because it's a word it's, I like. it clearly yeah. sounds like it's got a horror element. And then further, it sounds like I'm being I'm being manipulated into something. It sounds like I'm being placed in a hypnosis. We need to relax. It's not a big deal. And I should explain that, of course, these are two different voices. Uh, We cannot relax. It's such a big deal. The power couple's coming around. A friend of a friend of a friend of a friend is friends with a kook. And so, in the end, the power couple's coming Coming around. around. It's so creepy. The power couple's coming around. And it's it's, it's it's uh, simple. That's the whole thing. The entire musical
1: uh, presentation here is just so simple at the end of the day because there's
2: almost no change throughout the entire track. It's helped by the fact that this track is in six also. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, all throughout the entire thing. It's just, and then of course, the lyrics are right in line with that. So you just have this this, this case with two voices simultaneously. I think one is, is panned closer to the left, one is panned closer to the right ear, and they're just either seducing you or, or putting you in a, in a hypnosis. Well,
0: the track conveys an almost mischief to it with the way yeah. the lyrics go. It's reminiscent of, while well, we're talking about Tim Burton, like the three kids assisting Jack to kidnap Santa Claus or even... Um, Oogie Boogie, who is committing mischief pretty much through the whole movie. Yeah, it's it that, it's that, that idea of, for
2: sure, it's just more rock oriented.
0: Yeah, but I'd be shocked if those kinds of things were an influence. I mean, from the ominous tone, like this one, I really want to see the music video because I picture the computer animation that looks like claymation. Like, I really see something very visceral. This but, is also but, but... where I,
2: I appreciated more so the second vocalist the um yeah. the the one who is really doing the answer uh, which is conveyed here and the lyrics as as parentheses it's not a big deal it's such a big deal it he's the more animated one yeah. um the, the 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 main lyrics we need to relax we cannot relax it it's 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 more focused but also more deadened and then you have this this the mischief seems to be the the the, I don't know. The devil on your shoulder—is that what he's supposed to be? I, that's the only way it's I hard could to take say. it. I mean, yeah. There are times where he definitely seems like he's up to no good. And it's all presented with
1: such a cheekiness to it that I can only really see this fitting the sort of scene work to get away from the claymation, but to go to something a, a completely different. Really, like the 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 silliest vampire teen shows that are on late night television, like all the really bottom of the barrel kind of shows, like whatever what's uh, Vampire Diaries or whatever the other ones are I know there's a bunch of Teen offshoots Wolves. yeah that one it's like it's it's the well overblown drama that's just so in your face that you can't help but chuckle at how serious it all is the, there's one or two we're not really sure I'm gonna lean towards two hmm. people preparing for the power couple Well, what's a power couple? power couple is the sort of individuals that get kids into private schools not like high school or college i'm talking like private pre-k that sort of stuff the power couple is the one that makes a decision for all the other glammed up botox moms in the neighborhood the power couple is the the faux president of the gated community i mean this presentation here is putting on them on such a pedestal of the deal breakers that i i love how in the small little world that the, that is created by this power couple, it amounts to nothing in the grander scheme. The people Yet, who have so their importance, I love it.
2: They have their they have their worked out. <laughs> they, yeah. And and we can't all claim to that for the, sure. The instrumentation here, I would say, is the first time ever on the whole
0: record where it' sa- it starts to begin to sound repetitive. But that's intentional also because this song is almost supposed to be in a round and just kind of loop on itself how can constantly. You, how can you
2: hypnotize without really being repetitive? And and it
0: it, it adds a unique structure to the song because you can feel the intentional repetitiveness, but it it does create that kind of almost hypnosis where you just want to mindlessly follow as if someone's slightly
1: controlling you, like the power couple is slightly controlling you. But there's a guitar in there, and it's a little bit backdrop, even though it actually is uh, thematically pretending to be a lead that... Honestly, just don't give a crap about anything else that's going on right there. It just intersperses itself, it shows up when it wants to, and plays a little bit of like, as Steve would put it, the devil's advocate to the hypnosis that's going on right here. Mm. It's sort of the the counterpoint, the, the one little part of the evil that's really poking through for me, at least thematically in this track. It's For me, this is, as Matt put it, visceral. This is really just, I got a view of two glammed up, not quite there yet, uh, husband and wife with with trying to help out their little kid or whatever it's going to be. Use your use your daytime mom soap opera ideal, and
2: it's them going around the house dusting and cleaning and putting out the good china. And I really do love that uh, musically. Whenever it is, just the power couples coming around. Everything is very yeah. It's it's on its own cycle. Dun, 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 you know, it's very very straightforward. Um, but there is this way where certainly when it comes back to uh, the verses. It's more just piano-oriented here. Everything is a little bit more simplified, but still has the same, like, sway back and forth, because it's still in six. But it, it allows you to focus more and more on that secondary vocalist. My, my, my favorite... I call him a vocalist, as if he was actually really doing any singing. There's not a lot of singing going on here. He's very much just some guy talking, and it allows him to also be his most animated again. We'll go to step two. We know what to do. He's got he's got this... this, this I don't know this jaunty air about him that just it's it's endearing
0: yeah it it, the song as a whole i think really it just it does something unique but this speaks to what we said earlier if this if we had more than one song like this we would get absolutely tired of it very quickly yeah but the fact that they do it once it's kind of a sucker punch because you don't expect it and then it moves on and they
2: set the precedent for it as well on the album um and then they close off with a, a, a also, also a very Danny Elfman-esque thing, the last little little uh, couplet here. We must make a good impression. We must make a great impression. It felt very much, this is Halloween, yeah, a little this bit. is bit. And then that's the end of the song. Yeah. It's just, the whole entire track was just the fear. Yeah. It's just the fear. And frankly, I, I, I suspect that it may very well be overblown fear, but everything is fanciful in this album. So just... Get used to it. Track 11 Collaborations Don't Work. This? Really? This (laughs) might be my favorite song on the record. And there are
0: a few reasons, but the most obvious being. I mean, commenting on what
2: Steve just said. Collaborations don't work, really, on your collaboration album. Yeah, you humble SOBs. Come on. This and is we have been nothing. I I am really straining at this point at track eleven for critiques, and I I really can't think of the last time in which I've I've had that that experience of an album. Again, it was not just on the first impression. The first impression of this album for me, just to say this at this uh, at this point, because we are getting toward the end of the album proper, which ends at track twelve. So this is the penultimate track to the technical. album. Album, but we will be changing our format here to include the tracks that are on the deluxe album We'll explain that more as we go But my first impression of this album was overwhelmingly positive because they kept raising the stakes It's just like I I, I was trying to see what else they could do and at no point did they really leave me Yeah, this was kind of a throwaway. Eh, this was kind of bored um, And this track they did they pulled a fast one on me because in the very beginning it's um it's Wish You Were Here it's, by Pink Floyd. Yeah, it's, exactly it's an acoustic, it's it's acoustic, it's acoustic track. Rock. It's yeah. a guy and a guitar, and I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be the moment. This is going to be the moment, and, and now I'm going to mark some points off of this because it's just so predictable given everything we've, we've had. And it ends up being the most, the most interchangeable track, the most developmental, the most can't-put-your-finger-on-it-can't-categorize-it track on this album and maybe, dare I say, of the year. It, I would categorize it, but only in comparison to other tracks. Yeah, only, only by the section, <laughs> and we'll yeah. be, we'll be playing another, you know, reference the game, only is, which I'm tired is, of
1: doing at this point. This is Franz Ferdinand's Bohemian Rhapsody. Thematically, they just decide to explore music, and it just flows. And this is something hard to do because after we get this, this introduction sort of ending style radio style of reading collaborations don't work they don't work they don't work collaborations don't work and ending that phrase I'm gonna do it all by myself all by myself like the way it's set up it feels like it's the exit of us of a stage but then immediately from here we get the same exact words same exact even inflection is, is very very similar but it's it's
2: orchestra. It's again. back to an orchestra. It's, we get we. It's kind of back to the rock opera feel, but it's very it's very grand. Now we have lots of this high pitched uh, strings just just bringing us along here. I mean, and it's very very sudden. You 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 you, you turn left and then you turn back and you're like oh oh there's an orchestra there. Well, I didn't expect that. Um, but it doesn't feel abrupt. No, it doesn't feel... That's what's great. It doesn't feel abrupt inside. It just feels natural because, of course, it's still using the core melody that he was using when he was singing as just guy and guitar. And this goes on for a little bit. Enjoy the chorus. Collaborations don't work. It's very jaunty and whatnot. And again, just just to really... Pin this down and put this subject to bed. Of course, collaborations don't work. Give me a break. This is probably the single best collaboration uh, work that I have ever personally witnessed. Granted, of course, I don't. I'm not like immersed in the world of collaborations because sometimes and very often they come across as as uh, courtesies, you know, little whim projects. And yet, it's clear, very clear here at track 11 that a lot of work went into this, and a lot of influence came on both sides of the table.
0: And I would argue that the the line of collaborations don't work and the lyrics of this song as we go, and we're going to go through a lot of them because it's a six-minute song, through every stage of the game, it starts off sounding kind of very sincere, as in, you know, collaborations don't work, so I'm going to do it myself, but eventually evolves into this almost the voice of the antagonist, the, the idea that someone was saying this to them, that, oh, you're going to do a collaboration with a
2: whole other band... That won't work, and of course, and of course, it also relies on the fact that, well, they're different people, and yeah. they will have different ideas. and it's a satire because, of course, this track is awash with different ideas, which separately and and had they not put the effort in, could have been completely shoehorned. And then we'd be playing the Crash Chords game where we're a little more negative and we'd be sitting here being like, oh, come on, that where'd this come from? Where'd that come from? Let's take the first example here and let's explain instead why I think it works. Right following this chorus, we get... And I hate to compare, but it's the only thing that I can, like, flat on say, this is the Beatles. This is Lady Madonna. In fact, even the way that the that lead singer, uh, it's Franz Ferdinand, I believe, um, Franz Ferdinand's lead singer, not Sparks' lead singer, um, he kind of sounds like Ringo Starr here. And it was one of the few batch of st- of songs in the Beatles catalog that Ringo Starr actually sang. Um, and he's got the, the bass especially, alongside just the vocals, the bass is just kind of wobbling, walking its way down, down the scale and walking its way back up the scale. It's very, very, um, uh, overusing the word jaunty here, but it is, it is, it's, it's an earworm. It's, it's an energetic instant earworm, and it has the mixing of the time. The mixing that, uh, not to say that can't be reproduced, but it, it really is unique to the Beatles, and they recaptured it here. Even the piano and drum work are so
1: iconic, and then yeah. from there it goes back into the orchestra. This becomes your touchstone. It's not the same exact piece, but it does have sort of a, 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 a rounding quality. It, it sort of ends all these phrases, ends all these ideas in such a way so that when you get back to this touchstone, You have a moment to breathe, not much of a of a
2: breath can be made right here, but
1: you have a moment the to chorus breathe. It does feel to go like the back breather
2: into yeah. something different. It's not unlike what they did uh, in the very third track of the of the album, "Dictator's Son," where it's you have a bunch of different segments, which y- you're hard pressed to call them verses because it implies that there's a common thread between them. There was actually more of a common thread there uh, in that track, but it's a similar kind of structure. Because here, ooh, it's it's you get something completely different. And this from this chorus, from the second chorus, it is one of my f- favorite transitions on the album. And again, dare I say of the year, because it, it eases us in out from the main beat. We just start stripping away, turning down the volume. Everything gets really, really low until the only thing that is really prominent is this upright bass and a slight little tit on the hi-hat. This little tit. just a plucked upright bass and it gets really really low really really soft before we finally get the verse which feels like it's in a trance of its own the verse the, the 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 vocals here are are completely out of their gourd and they go... It's almost a ringmaster feel. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That's right. It's almost a man on stage just speaking to the crowd. Absolutely. And they go, taking uh, taking the line from that's been the common thread for the song, Collaborations don't work. You start off deferential and strangely reverential. You both feel it's essential. Collaborations don't work. He's eyeing your new lover. Then one night you discover them underneath the covers.
0: But what's great is after that yeah. awkward moment happens... There's an awkward pause in the song, like not not in the lyrics. The instrumentation continues, but after that line is delivered, there are no lyrics for a good, yeah. good second or
2: two. Yeah, and so and you then, you're, you're just stuck in the atmosphere. Now it's like, where did the character go? Well, I'm just I'm just left here. Someone someone hold my hand through this scary environment because it is pretty creepy. And also, this is a real a real minor point, but it was subtle and and expert. They they transform this by so subtly replacing that upright bass that upright bass with a synth yeah. that I, I I didn't know I, didn't, I couldn't even pinpoint the moment that it happened I almost didn't want to know as if it was some kind of magic trick like I, I didn't want to like go back and like pinpoint exactly the moment in which it actually happened because that would almost like ruin like I just I, I was listening at one moment it was an upright bass I I was honing in again and suddenly it's a synth I was I was like that's that's crazy but it does make this more warped it throws us back into that oh sort of F- elfman-esque quality because the 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 synth sounds very warped and now you have this little synth, uh, sound in the background that's just screeching and falling and raising again, and you just you, this is an uncomfortable place. So the moment that you mentioned where where the the, the vocals just leave us high and dry here is really kind of chilling. And then it, they come back in the same rhythm, but then they go away again yeah. before
0: we get to the next part. And so they're letting them breathe like that adds this air of awkwardness you might
1: get in a room with multiple artists trying to work together on one project. And then we go back to our touchstone, but this time we're not going back to the chorus, we're going back to just an orchestral idea. Yeah, this is not, not just, this is not
2: quite the touchstone, but I see, I see why you'd say that. Yeah, this is it's actually just hearkening It's back. it's not the chorus, it's not the same, it's not the same music, but it does kind of use the same instrumentation. And what do they say here? Where is this damn thing a goin'? Where is this going? Someone tell me. Starlight, rub off on me. Star bright rub off on me. And even that just between the first two lines and the second two lines is an extreme change here. I mean, this is the kind of thing that actually, unlike most cases where we're like, well, we, we've listened to it enough when we, we try to get it in, in our heads so we basically know when, what lyrics, what music is happening at that yeah. moment. This is the kind of track where even if I didn't know, I think it, it it implants itself in your brain so well. Just by reading the lyrics, I am placed back into the music because the lyric, it's it has such a flow to it. And the only other thing that I can compare that to as far as pop culture is concerned is John's opening comparison, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know where you are, just, the just from the lyric itself, and you hear everything else. Well I think also this is the first song that really
0: fills its length but not in a bad way. It's This song is over six minutes, almost six and a half, and it's because to get all this stuff in and make it cohesive you need all of that time
1: and it really takes you on this kind of journey. And our next section is I call it something which I know Steve doesn't quite agree with, but the piano Pavarotti argument, it takes on, it becomes, it becomes more piano oriented. Listeners, if we, if we sound silly, don't blame us. But the vocalists almost become operatic, just, just, especially the female vocalists. It's, she's really starting to belt it out. I mean, it's not loud in your ears, but just the quiver that's in her voice, just, it, it all automatically lends itself in my ears to opera style singing. I don't need your patronizing. I don't need your agonizing. I don't need your navel gazing. I don't get your way of phrasing. I don't think you're really trying what pray tell are you implying? And the back and forth between the female sounding and the male sounding, or just the two different ideas warring with one another. It's, it's, it's the politest argument
2: I've heard in a very long time. Yeah, I absolutely love this section. This is, I mean, apart from just the little call and response here, and it does, I, I did notice it has, it sounds uh, very like male and female. And I think, I think we pretty much know off the bat that they're all male, but they're doing that. They're doing that Monty Python thing again. They're going into that, that, that very comical falsetto. Um, Um, Even just the way he he said that final line, what pray tell are you implying? It's very just snooty. And um, I don't think you're really trying. It's it's, this back and forth. And then it's all over, like, it's all over this piano that that sounds... It's really just another core pattern. It's just a single-celled pattern that starts off actually by itself, come to think of it, between the uh, the last section and this section. And all you hear that as just a transitionary tool. And you don't realize initially that that's going to become the underlying uh groove for this entire segment and it keeps everything very like you're you're on the edge of your seat here i mean it's it's it i feel like it's used i didn't pin pin down exactly what chords are being used but it's just kind of like triads that are sort of arpeggiating their way up and down and it feels very it feels very tense and and I I feel in some sense almost like I'm back in like a a Gilbert and Sullivan play here that's how how on they are at this moment in in terms of trying to make it sound theatrical and that piano is what actually takes us out of the song as well it's a precursor to
0: the absolutely stripped-down outro which is just the piano and it's absolutely stunning and it's, it's just a moment where you're kinda of jumping around all over the place through the whole song and then that piano outro just Absolutely brings you home and centers you and
2: brings you almost to at peace. But not before the overall outro, right. which is a little more jaunty, a little bit more um, eh, old school classic rock. Right, it's the kind of thing you get in like late sixties, early seventies.
0: But that piano bit you were talking about earlier, before that jaunty out lyrical outro that
2: leads to the instrumental outro, they're all connected. Yeah, because Yeah, it that. sets this up, and it's, you identify the piano as a figure. Which, which, frankly, in in the outro that you're talking about, the true outro of this track is is. It, it gave me. It's breathtaking. It, it's breathtaking. It gave. It almost put a little tear in my eye, and that's not something that I had really pinned this album down as as capable of. Really, it at this point. It wasn't sure. hyper emotional. It wasn't hyper emotional. It was. It was um, enchanting yes. for sure, but not hyper emotional until that moment. Is this? Uh, let me. Let me just read this last. Uh, this last stanza, because what, of course, what cues that piano. I ain't no collaborator, I am the partisan rebel in the rocks with dirty trousers, broken pistol in the hand. I ain't no collaborator. Hack my scalp if you think I am. I am a sadistic young usurper, a hand on your neck, hand on your lover. oh, give the man a hand i am a ain't no collaborator, I ain't no collaborator. I am the master, independent. If I ever need a father, it won't be you, old man, and that and yet i it's just with all that it it's feels rocking. it feels like this is. It feels like this is him lying to himself. Yeah, no, 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 I, 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 no. This
1: is this is a rock star showing up and starting to throw in his two cents and this other piece of collaboration. It's a it's a, it's it's another piece of the identity crisis that's going on here. Because right after this, we go into another rendition of our Touchstone course, and then we go into that piano outro. And the combination of the Touchstone to that that, as you say, that tearjerker is kind of crass
2: against this rocking out individual and I love it. Sure he's rocking out and sure he's confident, but I don't, I still believe he's lying to himself. I still believe that if he's, he says he's not a collaborator and yet this whole thing rocks around and yet satirically mocks the fact that I believe this, this is proof that people can really work together and put out great things. Again, yeah. it's the, the self-mockery of his own art, which is ridiculous because, of course, it comes across to me as brilliant. Um, and, and I think maybe that's the idea behind this piano outro, is that that would be the sad choice if you were actually to make the choice not to collaborate, and just to pick your own route, because a lot of people think they have that control in their lives, and I think that this, that this, this whole entire album is an indication, and this is their subtle way of saying so, an indication that sometimes collaborations can be magical. And, yeah, the piano outro is just the sad choice of the alternative to stick your own way. Well, you might work out, might fail, but eh, you should have tried.
1: And after this just majestic piece, and I'm going to call it majestic, I want the word majestic written all over this track right here. Now it's time to get pissed off. Track 12, piss off. The final track of the actual album, we are doing the deluxe as we said before, and this is the the period of the original idea of this album. And something curious happens with this album. For once, and probably one of the very few times I've ever thought about it, a final track does what we've been trying to do all this album, it creates the theme. This track, Piss Off, is all about well, telling people off. It's a bar song that really gets to you. It's begging to be sung along with. It has this catharsis throughout the whole song. Like, I want to call it my
0: I give no fuck song. It it, it just... But what's great about it is it, it, it conveys that kind of mentality without being aggressive or angry or bitter. It's just... Fun and, and it, lighthearted and it's
2: a wholehearted throwback to the kinds of really catchy songs that we were getting toward the middle of this album um that we uh, frankly that we didn't get not too long ago that dominated this album to some respect because even the last track was catchy, but I mean just in terms of this being the one two punch it's a it's not a terribly long song it's 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 concise and it it really is just that it is pure catharsis, and I think it it implies it does imply that the theme of the album as a whole, that, well, through these other songs as well, you can overcome the little problems that they may have presented, that their individual themes may have put forth. And here, it kind of just takes it all in one, because very general, uh, very general things are being described here. You get the runaround from him, you get the runaround from her, the runaround, the runaround around. You get the put you down from him, the put you down from her. They always, always put you down. You get the shake you down. You know, all these these expressions that I guess we don't use too much. I think they're a little bit more common in Britain. But of course, put you down is, is pretty damn common. But just the concept of well yeah, there's people who are going to, to they're, they're going to tear you down in life they're gonna crap all over you they're going to tell you that you can't do the things that you want to do and well maybe that is a little bit of a, a, an answer to the last track that maybe would be an argument actually for going into something yourself doesn't really matter here I think the point really is um, that the answer to this is is the manner in which they sing in which they sing It is tell everybody to piss off and I love how in that moment, it almost sounds amusical. It almost sounds as if he's just speaking. It doesn't sound as if that's really being sung. Tell everybody to piss off tonight, which is why I agree with the bar atmosphere, because it sounds like Steins are being swayed in that exact moment. Well, they should piss off and leave you alone in your world tonight most will listen and take the hint know the saint a compliment and they should piss off and leave you alone in your world tonight and and ah musically this is back to everything that i was just fawning over in the middle of the album everything that these little uh musical moments that make each and every chorus and each and every verse each and every phrase interesting from an from an instrumentation standpoint uh there's this tendency for the harpsichord um which is back in this track the harpsichord joins in with those melodies but always on the second phrase not on the first phrase so when he says tell everybody to piss off tonight right not in that phrase but it comes in when he has this sort of roundabout way of singing well they should piss off and leave you alone and the harpsichord doubles it right here and it's just such a great tool it makes it sound as if everyone is has has come in to to sing this along with you and celebrate your your final resolution which is to tell everybody to piss off and even the harpsichord came along to say yeah yeah tell him that It's it's glorious, and it's a great way to
0: end the quote unquote album as well. Because I think too many times when we have something that's uh, self reflective or you know emotional roller coaster or even just has highs and lows, it tends to end with an empty room with a piano or something very dramatic. And for a lot there being plenty of drama on this record in the dramatic arts sense, this song wasn't. It's just. Flat out, face value, straight up, and still absolutely full of
2: joy. And when you have a simple theme, you can be as animated as you want. And I love the words here. This is some of my favorite lyrics of the entire album. And favorite manner of saying the lyrics,
1: to some extent. It's always inexplicable, it's inexplicable, but still they're eager to explain. It's always inapplicable, inapplicable, but they'll apply it all the same. It's always irrefutable. It's irrefutable, but still their arguments remain. And then even the next <laughs> part, get to the point and point to the open door.
0: Get right to the point and there's the door. And
2: they scream it out. But as the way if, it's
0: delivered, if- it's it's delivered in a very they-might-be-giants-like sing-songy fun way...
2: It just, oh, I just, I love get the delivery. Get right to the point, and there's the door. It yeah. actually sounds like, well, that's the moment. You didn't just hear a a a, a hyperbolic aftermath where it's like, well, I I told him get to the point, and you know there's the door. No, you were there in the moment in which and he to- actually said to that other person and told him off. Get to the point and point to the open door. It's 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 beautiful, and even that is not maybe maybe not my favorite part of this song because no. this has a bridge, and it's such a wonderful wonderful bridge it is. I gaze into my crystal ball I see a future free for all Where football and cheap alcohol Has shook me to the core I'll enjoy each moment so I'll add to my portfolio Of epithets and cheerios That never fail to score That might be my My favorite line of the album I I love so much more Mm. But epithets and cheerios Just from it rolls off the tongue It's so fun to say The first time I heard it I, I, I couldn't stop saying it Nay 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 I want immediately
1: following that. I want to fantasize, I want to fantasize, but the essential parts are never there. I want to socialize, I want to socialize, but then I look around and just don't care. I want to harmonize, and that word harmonize. They harmonize on oh, saying that harmonize. That's so
2: awesome when they do that. Well, of course it want, d- it's a, of course it's a completely different style in which they do this. I mean, the bridge that I I I'm to just harmonize. Yeah, the bridge that I'm harmonize. describing was a very oh, pared down segment. The, the bridge that I'm describing was was completely stripped down, and it was verse. it was let it was like a piano ballad in the middle of it all, and it was like his little commentary on the album as a whole. But then all of a sudden we're back to the verse here, and you'd think, oh, well, it's going to be the same verse again. Well, have they have they proven at any point on this album that they're going to stick to that. No, of course, in the middle of the verse that you expect to be the same, the orchestra comes in, or in this case, the choir comes in to harmonize with you. And again, just like the harpsichord came in to join you in the chorus, well, here, the choir is joining in. Everyone's got your back. It's- it's- It's joyous. This is such happy rage. I love happy rage.
1: Sometimes you just... It's
0: not even rage, though, because you... No, there's...
1: Piss off, that's rage. Piss off the words,
0: sure, but they're not delivered with a rage. It's... It's not that you're pissed off. You're telling someone to To piss piss off. off. And it's delivered in a joyous way. I understand the quiet rage you're discussing, but... It's not there in the vocalization at all. There's no anger here whatsoever. That's why the word
2: happy was thrown in there. Okay. I'm just pointing that out. Okay. It's also a matter, and sometimes you just don't have time for bullshit. And, yes. and obviously, when in the previous verse, in which it was all about, you know, well, it's inexplicable. Well, it's always inexplicable. It's inapplicable. It's irrefutable. It doesn't matter if it's irrefutable to certain people. They're just going to, still their arguments remain. Yeah. And, and if, they're, if they're not worth fighting, you know, with, then don't bother. Just yeah. tell them off. There's a time and a place, and he... He's validating it for you. It's wonderful. And, and that that is technically the end of this album. But we're making a little bit of a change here. And it, it has to do with the fact that, yeah, sometimes they throw on a bonus track or two. Well, lots of artists do this, and it's just like sometimes it's not worth it. Because if you're not going to get that in the primary release, then we don't feel that's, necess- that's the, within the intentions of what the album actually is. But I have a theory, and I think we kind of worked out this theory before, that this, these next four tracks, these next bonus tracks, are actually an extension of the same theme, but with different outcomes. So if they're just as important, you can't leave them off. So. Well, welcome to uh, this bonus edition of Crash Chords, courtesy of the bonus four tracks uh, with FFS, which, frankly, you can find on the Deluxe Edition, which is ubiquitous. So, you will be getting these tracks.
0: The Deluxe Edition seems to be the release, so that's kind of what's inspiring this. Also, and we'll talk about this a little bit after, but we recently, as recent as Rob Thomas, talked about extra tracks and bonuses and their kind of effect on releases, I feel like here we're dealing with a different animal. And so we go to track 13, so many bridges. And honestly, if there were ever a song to follow Piss Off, this is the song to follow Piss Off. <laughs> um, and it starts with this echoing quiet rage and frustration that John was hinting at in the last track. Is very much
1: here from the moment the lyrics are delivered. It's the wah-wah that's in the guitar that
0: does a lot yeah. to,
2: to just pull out that elongated scream that's stuck in your head. It was there, yeah, it was there in the track, Things I Won't Get. It's the same wailing guitar, come to think of it, um, but yeah, amidst a little bit of a happier backdrop here, obviously coming off the track, f- uh, piss off, I think, I. I, I feel like... I feel like the character's feeling more confidence at this point, and and the confidence is there as we dive into this track. The places, they all look the same. The places, they all look the same. And this is kind of in this, this strange, uh, uh, dreamlike environment. And then finally he dives into the verse. The places, they all look the same. I'll dive in, I'll save you again. But friendship has limits, you know. So how long, how far will you go? And really... Uh, really emphasizes that. How long, how far will you go before the chorus so many bridges in the world to jump off of? And, uh, I, I, okay, face it. Jaunty is just the word of the day. I'm using it here because this is literally focusing on the fact that, well, these are bridges you're gonna commit suicide from. This is, this is, this is the emphasis here. These are bridges that you will be potentially, or your friend rather, is potentially committing suicide off of. And yet, it's being sung as if, as if you're at a buffet. As if, it, oh, look at all these options. Great. Uh-huh. I, got the, I got the Brooklyn Bridge. I got the Manhattan Bridge. I got the Verrazano. It's wonderful choices. But there's a We're of, lucky to live in a city that, that has suicide right at every turn. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but all joking aside, because this is something that does
0: stem from something very serious, obviously. Yeah. The frustration that I spoke about earlier is this idea that there's a friend who you're you're frustrated with because you always have to say them. You always have to jump in. This idea that while... Actual suicide and committing suicide is a very serious thing and not good and very sad. The idea that this person is dealing with someone who's craving, I think, attention. And this frustration
2: of having to step in and be helpful all the time. Right, but the tone that you're conveying right here is, is of course one of all this is dire. This is very yeah. serious thing, but that's not what he's no, doing. No, absolutely which not. Which is why I make light of it, because he already is making light of it. This is the case where this friend has, has he, he's up to here. Yeah. He's really up to here with this friend. Doesn't mean he's not going to help. But he absolutely is- is- he's on his side, he's just- he's just sick of it. Well, yeah, well, you got so many bridges to jump off of, so, know uh, whenever you're ready, you know, just give me one last call. It, it's- it's sarcastic, and it's- it, of course it's sarcastic, and of course, the sure, that it's a serious issue, but sometimes you just gotta be upfront with it. And throughout this whole thing, the music itself is constructed and deconstructed and fooled around with.
1: At the end of the day, though, it, it's one of those dance songs, and this one felt disco. I mean, it felt like it was right there, especially when combined with uh, the piano. The tempo itself just just worked for a disco, which is like the most movement, happy-go-lucky oriented of dance tracks it's a great disposition between the two of them. And that's word that we didn't quite use a lot on this, on this album, but that's the word of what describes this album, especially this song. In many places. Yeah. Well, also towards the end of the track, we
0: get one of my favorite transitions. Steve had a favorite transition. This is one of mine, oh, where the drum that was probably a drum machine, but sounded enough like an analog drum goes right into this string interlude that then bleeds right back into another drum bit that leads right back into the song the way it was. And it's another moment where we get some strings that bleed really well into what the song is doing and though it stands out in the moment, doesn't feel foreign or unnecessary. And I love the way they can do that and do it
2: multiple times without it feeling gimmicky. In different yes, ways. And specifically between the fact that, yeah, on one hand, you have the drum box, which feels very cheesy. It feels very... It feels like something that you could just buy for a very nominal price, you know, at your local Toys R Us, and it'll <laughs> make this sound. Um, but then out of that, of course, you get this this wonderful... Uh, the, the strings are there. Actually, they're there for the majority of the track, and for the majority of the choruses, at least. But the interlude that you're talking about is completely separate. The interlude there is is like that of a... Of like a Russian late romantic composer, something, an excerpt from something that he might pull out of a ballet and it feels very dramatic. It accompanies a a character and his personal sorrows and that for that one minute you almost feel the plight of this person, Mm -hmm. right? And then he just pisses that off by bringing you right back to the chorus. Hey, so many bridges in the world to jump off of. It's uh, right in the Oklahoma. We'd rather go Paris and San Francisco. How can we go? It's a joke. It's just a flat-out joke. So many ways to commit suicide because he's just had it up to here. Alright. Let's go to track 14. King of the Song. This one is, I think, the first truly
0: mellow track we get that's not somber in tone. It, It... it slows down and does have a hint of darkness but we're not getting something as clearly
1: somber as some of the earlier tracks that slowed down that we mentioned this is more affectionate than anything mm-hmm. else yes. uh, when you it, it's it's about a memory of the the protagonist's father and the songs he used to sing in this case the the, the father is actually a musician himself and eventually the comparison between father and son does happen within the story here. That's another thing. We're getting a heavy story. It but feels there is like... a lot of love here between the two characters. Yeah, the narrative here is even
0: stronger because it literally feels like narration being a told. the a story being told by someone. Which, while we had rock opera things, which we'll come back to as we get towards the end this Here, was rock this, this was, was just soft, soft classic rock that felt very much
2: just like delivering a story to someone who's sitting by your bedside listening folk classical rock is actually another yeah. way i put it because it really has that element to it It just again the mixing everything In feels and the darkness align. speaks to that too a lot of folk music has kind of an infused kind of darkness twinge to it sure um, but I, I just, I, I love these lyrics here. Speedin' and singing, singing and speeding, Speeding, singing my infancy to sleep, While I can hear his voice, and I can hear his song. The singing is gone. Even just the previous so line, sad. and I can hear his song. And he holds that. It becomes so. He he turns that one word, song, into a, a song of yeah. its own. It's it's. He has so much fun with with uh, inflection here. It's almost honestly the content. Even on this album, the content is almost secondary to me. I love it. It, it. He introduces great things, but it's really all about his inflection. That's what makes this alive. And with any other vocalist, it would be it would fall flat. To, I'm not not speaking ill of the lyrics, but it really would fall flat with a lesser vocalist. And and that moment that you just mentioned about how he turns the
0: word song into a song and then the singing is gone, that line is so sad when when focused on because it's literally saying, I had a father, but he's gone now. For whatever reason, he's gone now. It's, It's the idea likely that he passed away.
1: But there are lines. Do you know what it's like to be born to a legend, to be born to a freak? And other pieces, nobody sings like my daddy sang. I know I'll never to sing the way that my daddy sang. The way that my daddy sang. He's this is the conflict that was persistent throughout the It's conflict with sadness. It's still here. Yeah, but this is sort of this is a completely different turn for so much of the rest of the album. Is that this is not just longing or mean or angry or so many of the the more charged emotions. This is coming from a place of 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 just. Lack of acceptance. This is just, I can't deal with it.
0: There's some remorse here, you know, some sadness, but some, you know, fondness too. I mean, the, the initial lines that Steve quoted... They did seem happy and full of
2: positive memory, but quickly turned to sadness, and I think that's a nice, interesting turn yeah, for the song. And even two minutes in, you know, they still kind of go back to their where where Franz Ferdinand was always about. It has a very a very cheerful air about it, mm-hmm. and it's still heavy on the bass. It's essentially their core sound. I thought at that around that minute mark, um, two minute mark. But it's it's yeah. I, I enjoyed this le- this song on the same level as I enjoyed a couple of the lighter a uh, lighter yes. tracks on this album. And, um, it's it's a fairly face-value song. A, it's a breather that you need, that you yeah, desperately absolutely. need after all this. Well, especially since Piss Off and So Many Bridges were kind of intense,
0: even though they were more or less positively delivered, you needed this breather of a moment. And it was a moment of sincerity, which helps polarize and focus other stuff at the same time.
1: And then we get track 15, Look at Me, which is the polarizing in the opposite direction oh, once God. again.
2: Look at Me is... Disco funk not even it's a glam rock song true and true. It's gra- glam rock, but it's also extremely Franz Ferdinand at the same yeah. time I mean, I think we've proven at this point that well the marriage works so well It's not almost not worth you know uh, pointing fingers on I either side to see the kids. <laughs> yeah, the, it, and to describe the, the 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 guitar here a little bit, it's it's almost like an alarm. It's it has that kind of repetition to it, but it's really it's really it's really harsh. It it reaches out at you, and and you feel a little bit you know you're awoken by it for sure. But yet alongside that, the bass here I think is the most versatile by contrast. It 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 does have a tendency to repeat the same the same note over and over, but then towards the ends of those phrases, it throws little little things in that that kind of bring it to life. It is I would say it's something that I would expect off Franz Ferdinand's first album, and that's not to say it's it's like th- a throwback for them, or a really far throwback for them. I think it's, it's once again, it's the core sound that I absolutely love, that I think I, I, I appreciated getting again. And
0: what I like about
2: the fact that this song is fitted so
0: neatly into glam rock is because the song, Look At Me, which is the title, and the most commonly said phrase in the entire track is pretty much a prima donna song. It's hey, yeah, yeah. look at me disease. It's over a hundred This is why
2: it's ironic, I guess, that I'm, I'm I'm pinning this to Franz Ferdinand because I do believe there's a lot of Sparks influence for, here for sure, and it's something that I know for fact Sparks has done in their career. Um, a little bit of glam rock here and there. They were called a glam rock band, but then again, who knows, maybe they were doing it from satire. Yeah, I mean, and it could be, and I mean, the lyrics definitely deliver yeah, satire. We, we simply just don't know enough about the band to say. And the vocals as well deliver. Over the satire because
1: the vocals are kind of background. They're kind of washed over with all of the music that's going on right here because the mixing doesn't really put them as a forefront piece, except in certain instances in the chorus. Really, primarily. This makes all of the different things. Look at me, look at me, look at me. You don't have to hold my hand. You don't have to like my band. Just look at me, look at me, look at me. It takes a backseat and the whole thing makes it sound subversive it's a real negative
2: view of the MTV generation come to think
0: of it well yeah sure and a lot of those singers I mean think about the caricatures of glam rock performers think the lead singer of Poison or Bon Jovi back in the
2: day even though they may not have said these things there's an air of attention getting image was certainly bigger uh, in the 80s than it was the 70s prior not to say it wasn't there in the 70s but you know when you have a more television focused or internet focused culture people they, they they overemphasize what used to be about the music I know that's such an old man phrase but this is that's what this is speaking to See kids back in the day we oh. had glam rock which was old when man, man, glamorous
0: man. rock It was rock where the, the lead singers wore a lot of
1: big hair, pretty colors even <laughs> makeup. Not you know. even makeup. Makeup was a necessity. Yeah, it was. it's funny. This does actually Brush have to be explained because
2: we had a kind of weird revival of like that that almost the straight laced like like jacket and tie nineteen fifties culture around the time of indie rock, yeah. where you know with the killers they'd get on and like a very simple not, shirts tucked in. You know, yeah. it was a revivalist thing. So yeah, the the all of this glam has actually kind of faded. It's a it's a strange strains a little unless you're pocket the band the darkness in okay, which case you want okay, to that with a enough. tight
1: grip but like glam rock this song is just trying to sort of brainwash you into buying the product they're selling and in this case a pretty facade is trying to just sell you the person standing in front of you singing the choruses are my favorite part because they come clear cut and subversive Well, I'm not asking for a lot right there up in front in your ears but in the background, you'd then hear, look at me, look at me, that that line, the crux. And then at the end of the track, you're getting 30, 40 renditions of the words, look at me. 36, to be exact. Oh, dear. Distorted oh, dear. background. There's a couple beforehand that are oh, yeah, trifectas that count as well. It's just, it's the, the background and mixed in and gets distorted and sort of broken down by the track itself. It's It's artistically a
2: great theme piece. We had a song very recently at the end of the first disc of Steam Powered Giraffe's The Vice Quadrant, which we reviewed very, very recently in episode 178, which essentially was looking at a very kind of similar theme. It was a self-involved person, which they created. It was a character because, you know, Steam Powered Giraffe is full of characters. And Gigi Giraffe is just he's, he's too too self-involved, of course, through the lens of someone who's immature um, in that case. But it came across very, very negative because they tried to, they tried to make it too much about the the dialogue and not enough about the music. I think the reason this track worked, despite the fact that, yes, it was probably one of the more repetitive on the album, and maybe a close tie for my least favorite uh, uh, with, what was it, Carl Girl? I think I mentioned yeah. that as yes. my second least favorite. I am right there with you. I don't know, but it's again, this is by comparison. I still believe the track works because, of course, it, it does have the musical compo- component, and at least if you're singing along, then you can be immersed in, in that. I'll be happy to be the first person to kind of cut this love fest a little
0: short. I agree with Steve, but I want to expand on a little bit that it does get repetitive. And while I agree it does work to the theme that the song is trying to convey, it was a little much for me. By the end, I had kind of had enough. That saying, this this is definitely my worst song on the record. Still better than 90% of the pop we've reviewed in the last
1: six months. Still better than some of the best tracks off of our last couple of albums. That too. And what's great is it, it. This this sort of like faux famousness works great for what the theme of the next track is: a violent death, which is the final track of the extended edition, track sixteen. It's about a person dying, obviously a violent death. There, it's right there in the title. But this violent death is abrupt and meaningless. So, getting all this other things before, and especially look at me, the meaningless sort of crow calling is just a great lead in for this track. And also important to say, this is the
0: only time on the entire record we get a repeated motif. This song is definitely rock opera influenced and it works still. This is the only time they repeat themselves even with a hint just in the motif even though the musicality is still
2: different and i don't mind it and i didn't think even like as a whole the rock opera feel here was that similar to the rock opera feel exactly. earlier they've it, made a new rock opera exactly. all within one track like i said simply um, in
0: structure and delivery dramaticness if you will but that's
2: That <laughs> word but definitely not in instrumentation it definitely still does feel different yeah and, and looking at inflection here the opening this is another one that brings back another common thread of this album which is that whole deadpan the 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 deadpan versus the mantra and you have this mantra which is a violent death and no, everyone no, comes no, no. in to go say go higher that. go higher a, a violent, violent death, death. And then, what a surprise. A, a violent, violent death, death. No space to cry out. A, a violent, violent death, death. No time for goodbyes. That was, <laughs> a, little, that was a little creepy. but well, uh, A little creepy. <laughs> ah, <laughs> we keep that it. in. It's still fun, though. Uh, how depressing. I mean, seriously. No, seriously. It, we're, again, we're talking about a violent death here. No time for goodbyes. It's, there's no silver lining to this as he, as he presents it. And there's also not a lot of musicality in, in, in some elements here because it really wants to take you almost away from the music and, and immerse you in this idea of a violent death. We're kind of on serious issues. Choose here, um, which is why this is interesting. That they they chose this as the route to end the deluxe edition, as opposed to the route that we ended the actual album with. Um, a violent death, what a surprise! A violent death, no space to cry out. A violent death, no time for goodbyes. And then th- that's the chorus, and we we sort of hold out. We rip. They rip us away from this by holding out this dissonant drone. This this uh this these two instruments that kind of hold two notes right next to each other make you feel very very uncomfortable. It, into into this 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 is the part I mean that's amusical almost when he says I didn't think it would be like this with wet warmth draining down the seat I didn't think it would be like this and that that line in fact kind of stands on its own to see what I'm made of in color HD I didn't think it would be like this and over those two strings the, the, those two notes it's so uncomfortable yeah I mean he he didn't think it would be like this well what did he not think it would be like because uh, th- if this is the note he's leaving us on with the end of the deluxe edition, it's a far cry from the positivity that he left us on at the end of the initial album of the of the core album. The core album was piss off. Don't don't let anybody bother you. You are on your own your own uh your own path here. And then suddenly here, it's depressing. everything is it's- meaningless and nothing matters anymore. This is
0: the first time we get true depression, morbidness. I mean that line that you said. With wet warmth draining down the seat. I mean, that. What is that? Is that blood? Is uh, that you died and so your bowels let out? Like, I mean, because that's also war- like urine is warm. Like, what fluids are we talking about? It's just
2: so disgusting. He says to see what I'm made of in color to D. I mean, it's, like, so you'd like, like you apply blood. Just yeah. got disemboweled or yeah. something. It's just it's it's so
0: visceral. Like it's almost got a viscosity in the <laughs> words themselves. And I think that's what really pulls me in, that even though this seems like a departure from all the positivity, it could be this like almost fantasy land that led to a grounding reality.
1: I I believe so. And that's even more terrifying. I don't even need that. I could just enjoy the fact that... You're born, life sucks, you die, deal with it.
2: Kind of a message going on right here. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, right on. <laughs> right on, man. No, this is... Oh, yeah. It's strange because really earlier on, he ha- he mentioned something about being a fake existentialist. Yeah. Um, And, well, it's not to say that, like, in this track... To, to be an existentialist, I guess, really, is just to be a prag- pragmatist. Yeah. When you really think about it. Um, Yes, we're going to die. Get 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 used to it. Um... But I suppose if you are, if you consider yourself a fake existentialist, then it, it puts the rest of the album in perspective, almost as if yeah, that really was the delusion. I mean, it's a good message because after all, since you only have one life, you might as well just uh, live it. Yeah, live it. Yeah, dance, sure, absolutely. Enjoy it. Have absolutely. Fun. I think that's a great message. But, but to boil it down to this and to say, well, at the very end. It doesn't look like he's has the means to dance at this moment, especially yeah. if if I get a very clear image of him, him lying on the floor <laughs> yeah. disemboweled. I, that's the only way I, I could take this track. Yeah, well, at that point, no, it'll be rather unhelpful for someone to say, just dance, <laughs> just it, get it, up, it, roll it's up your a, back. It's a rough ending, but I think it's a good contrast to the previous
1: ending. I would actually refute that. I don't think it's as dark and dreary as it. And from here, I'll go into my wrap-up unless someone has something to add. Nope. Nope. Okay. This second ending does a lot to more place the urgency on dealing with the bullcrap in your life. Instead of just telling it to piss off. Instead of just trying to ignore it and move along, this is... There is nothing you can do once you're dead. Not just... Nothing at all, but you can't get a chance to say goodbye. You don't get a chance to right the wrongs you've committed or anything like that. So you have to seize the things you can seize when you can. It's sort of a carpe diem, but in a very depressing way. Is, I, that's a fish, right? Yeah. <laughs> <That> is... <laughs> seize the fish, yes. Exactly. Fish <laughs> no, no, what it was, fish day. That's fish it day, exactly. You. <laughs> Well, this is a very, to me, a very beautiful theme. A very beautiful idea of deal with all the bullcrap in your life because you won't get second chances. At the same time, we got the first theme, which was just ignore all the bullcrap in your life. Well, okay. Well, th- this, this album has done one thing that I, I love. It gave me two endings. It gave me st- an extended edition. The, the, <laughs> the Lord the, the, of the right. Rings of music, if you will. Yeah, it gave me an extended cut of of the idea it was it's trying really to present. It, it gave me an extended cut with incredibly catchy and just mind-boggling music. It was great to sing along with, even the more complicated stuff. It was full of imagery. It was full of just weird tones and pushing the boundaries. We ranted and raved, and this tra- this album... Honestly, I, I love Look At Me, regardless of how it was kind of a low point of the album. I love what it does thematically, and it does musically. This album was all rise. It started at a high point. It's a five. I can't do anything else. It's a five. Plain and simple.
3: Uh,
0: this album... That's Steve's sigh of frustration, uncertainty, but certainty. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: This is... Beatles meets They Might Be Giants meets Yes meets Danny Elfman with and without Oingo Boingo meets Tim Burton meets Tim Burton meets Queen They're sticks and yet all in all it's Franz Ferdinand and I I only I only leave out Sparks only because I don't know Sparks well enough but it's definitely it's definitely a jacked up and enhanced Franz Ferdinand which I can only I guess by the process of elimination, a tribute to Sparks. Uh, well done um, on all fronts. Listening to this album was the highlight of my week. I listened to this. Um, thankfully, I wasn't a lazy bum with this album. I listened to this early, 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 early. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wait. I listened to it on Tuesday. I listened to it again on Tuesday. I listened to it on Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, a couple times on Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday. I had to go out, but when I came home before I went to bed, I managed to fit it in. Um, and, and I'm I was singing along within a day of it. I really just... This is what I want out of pop. Rock. Pop rock, specifically. Pop, you know, we go on and on about what pop can do and what pop is is capable of, and yet also what pop has a tendency to hold us back from. This is the kind of thing where I, I feel they were just working wholly within the form. It's not prog. It doesn't, it doesn't really... Develop in the traditional sense that Prague would, but frankly, I'm happy for it because, you know, of course, there is a critique of Prague that Prague gets a little flighty in what they do, and and this album is tight in the tracks in which it does appear to get flighty. I believe that it, it's it's a match made in heaven. Every single departure is just is just wonderful. Even yes, even yes has been guilty of just having too many asides. Um, Roundabout is a great track, but yet I've heard other tracks where I'm just like, eh, where are you? Get back, get back, get back to the, that amazing groove that you were on before because I don't know where I am now. Um, and if Yes is guilty of that, I, I would think, oh, well, everyone's a little bit guilty of that. There's only one other five I've given on this podcast, and that's Godsticks, because they also managed to make every single track interesting and envelop me. Um, I've been toying with a five all week all from, from the... From the moment I started uh, until until right now, but in true Crash Course form, he has not made a decision until the last minute, <laughs> which we all do every week. Because this is a big decision, because it would only be my second uh, five in in, in 181 uh, albums, I'm going to I'm going to put a question to you, uh, just to to validate me or disvalidate me and drop me down a nuts. Let me put a question to you: Do you feel that those tracks in the beginning, despite the fact that we said it 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 began great? Do you feel that they are lessened when you re-listen again? I did not get that feeling when I re-listened. There was one moment in the course of the week where I was so on a high from some of the later tracks in this album that when I did re-initiate the album, when I started it over again and I listened to Johnny Delusional, I was like, this is good. Okay, I mean, you are also a harsher
0: critic.
1: If that's going to knock it down from a five, that's not enough. I'm putting that out there, right there.
2: Well, it's all dependent upon the fact that, well... Well, it's. is, is I don't, it enough for
0: Steve to not give it a five? I've given things f- a five for less logical reasons, sometimes.
1: So, But Steve is a different pinnacle. Well, I'm sorry, upon the 12th repetition,
2: that it's just not as good as the bright blue newness. And there's my little jab at Steve. It's my favorite album since Invisit's Conundrum. But... I believe that album had a stronger start. I think that's the only thing that will keep me. I am very sorry that I'm not going to make this the love fest that you want it to be, because I think I might love this album, maybe even more than you two, I don't know. I've clearly listened to it more. Um, but this 4.9, only on the grounds that uh, I believe, I, I like the all rise nature of this album, but I believe that they could have gone just a little further with Don, Johnny Delusional and Call Me. That, that's, about, that's about the, only thing going back those tracks could be on other albums it's not intimately a part of this holistic storyline which means that perhaps that's their way of luring people in naysayers who might otherwise say oh well i'm not quite ready for some of this later stuff then they lure them in that's credit credit but should have gone a little bit bigger in the beginning there 4.9 that is still in a select group of like two (laughs) yeah um I will admit openly that I didn't fall
0: in love with this album from the first listen like you guys did. I I liked it. I liked it a lot. But, you know, at a glance, I got a sense of a lot of this is dance music, which was my own fault. I probably wasn't focusing enough. But upon repeated listens, I did really get a sense of where it's going, even more so now with the theme. And the fact that we've got something upbeat that's not just about love or just about how great life is, it's... It's, it's more ethereal than that. It's more feeling than telling you why it's happy. It feels happy. And that is something I truly love about it. But I'm leaning more towards Steve. Envisage Conundrum is an album that is just in a place that I feel like there was literally nothing I, I think I could think of to say that was bad about it. Whereas here, there is a track I like less than the rest. Um, I know, and I agree with Steve and John that um, look at me. Serves a purpose, and it exists thematically in a way that makes sense, and in construction makes sense. Upon repeated listens of that song, I only like it. I don't love it. I'm, you know, I don't. The idea, on the first listen, fantastic, great theme, great structure. But upon repeated listens, yeah, I get it. All right, I get it. Yeah. And that's that's a little bit much for me. So, but that's it. The, the rest of the album is absolutely phenomenal. I've, as we were recording the podcast, downloaded it to my Spotify on my phone. I will be listening to it on my morning commute tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week. But I just don't think it hits five. And for me also, like last year, Stereotypes was a five because it was breaking ground. And even though there were moments that were familiar as a whole, as a band, they were breaking ground. And I wanted to give it that five here they're doing the same thing, but I wasn't fascinated with everything. There were moments where I was minorly bored just in a few tracks, but for more specific reasons, there are a couple tracks that I just felt you could feel the wear a little bit. That said, it's still a phenomenal record. And for me, I'll push it up a little bit higher than Steve and give it a 4.95. It's not quite a five. It's a 4.95 because of that Couple of moments, I was just lessened. I think you
2: rated Banda Magda that as well. I did because um, he likes up.
1: super decimals. See, yeah. decimals. I are learned point that from whatever. Steve. He taught me. Super well. decimals are point whatever. <laughs> you
2: guys whatever. were so anti-decimal in like the first few episodes. It's not even funny. The first time I threw in like a, a four point two five, which is a pretty logical, you know, division. We went, what? We went, what? what? That's crazy.
1: You can't do a quarter. Fractions are imprecise. What? I my one argument would be. One of my f- biggest criterias was for four or 5 it's gotta be pushing music in a direction that I feel is great and new and a, a positive way to go. Yeah. And, and this succeeds on on This, yeah. on this, this, well, this yeah. is doing that in such an amazing way to pop that I... I, I I can't argue with it. It's, it has the better of Also, themes.
0: honestly, for I me, love
1: themes. It's got two themes.
0: Honestly, for me, I think also in the back of my mind is the last time I gave out a five this early in the year, I immediately regretted it when I heard something that was actually a five. And so I think that point, the, the 4.95 is allowing me that .05 no. of margin for something that may come that's better. No, I'm committed. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um... Before we wrap up the episode, I do want to touch on something a little bit. We won't run too long on it because we've talked about this topic before. But on an extension of our bonus tracks discussion, the reason, and, and Steve actually came up with this, that we did focus on the bonus tracks here is, A, the deluxe is the predominant edition it seems you can find everywhere. So odds are you're not going to get it without those four
1: tracks. Yeah. But also, this is the, but, this feels like those four tracks were always meant to be there. No, I would even say something further. The bonus tracks not only serve a purpose for the album, they change the album, and you can experience it two ways. Right. You that can... double theme idea. That's how you do bonus material. Yeah. You want to use it. A as diversity a to the record. Exactly, and it was magical for it. Well, you can I have even, a theory. You I, can I even I have... take it this way. There was something else I was thinking about. Each of the four bonus tracks
2: are a different ending after "Piss Off."
3: Oh, that's
0: not a bad
1: way of looking it at it. Yeah, like it
2: each that and that every way. one of them are in their own extension, not really necessarily. Really making like Lord of the Rings that would with actually, multiple endings. Well, not.
1: no, this that would be actually a case of alternate worlds. Like it would have been Divergent Storylines because right. you could have track 13, 14, 15, or 16 being your ending.
2: And it's a little bit different. Well, I have a little theory and it's based on a fact. And that's that um, I, I I was able to read that that Piss Off, the last track of the album proper, was actually the first track that they had written. Oh, interesting. Interestingly, and, and it was written, like, very early on. It was one of the first demos they really shared with each other. So it could be very well that the album grew around that. If that's the first al- the first track that they wrote, which is, you know, you could see that coming out of a lot of ideas. A lot of people would love to tell people to piss off, and, and that's the end of it. And then they kind of built in a narrative to, to, to fit that track, and they worked both, both uh, in one way and the other. They worked before and all the things that would lead you to tell someone piss off you know and dance your troubles away and then they also worked out you know the uh the harsh realities the harsh uh sometimes you can't just do that sometimes there's death afoot sometimes uh think life is more serious and you can't you don't have the luxury of just dancing something off and uh, in in which case you know this album it really grew from a, a beautiful seed Um, And that's a a wonderful way of going about bonus tracks, because normally bonus tracks, and we started to speak about this when we were actually talking about bonus tracks the first time, which I believe was in the Rob Thomas episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, um, you know, bonus tracks can be kind of tiresome in the way they're traditionally used. They're tacked on, they're they're courtesy, and we we barely even addressed in that discussion the fact that they could actually be used as part of the theme, because we just don't experience it that much. In every case uh, that I've experienced a bonus track, it's it. It feels like something that very easily could have been on an EP. Why is it here? You know, it almost ruins my 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 flow. I I recall having a big rant at the end of that discussion about how deluxe editions are are ruin my my sense of order in the music library because then you wind up with doubles. Well, same goes for bonus tracks. If bonus tracks don't really fit the theme, then I can say, oh yeah, that's it's track uh that's track uh thirteen fourteen on a twelve track album. But is it really? Because if you have another album that properly is just the twelve, then th- 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 what then what is it? What is it? It's a non. It's a non-track number. Calm down. All calm right. down. All right. All right. You're I won't go there. Place. I won't go there again. But but I would certainly make a concession in a case like this where it is actually part of the theme and and aids the album. I just don't see it enough.
0: Yeah, I think this is a new leaf we're turning over in Crash Chords as we learn and as we grow that if we can find an album where the structure really fits to this and or it's just the version. I mean, we've come across other albums where it says it's bonus track somewhere, but it's actually on the release. So we've covered them. But But most of the time... We don't. In fact, there have been times where we've covered full album narratives that have a track that should have been a bonus track, but wasn't. Like when we did Stereotypes, there were two versions of Magic on there, and John very much insisted that the second version wasn't different enough. Whereas I disagreed, but it did seem like it could have been considered a bonus track, but it wasn't. It wasn't even the last track, but it, it works multiple ways. And I think that going forward, if we come across an album where the narrative, not necessarily the narrative, but at least the structure of the record fits around the bonus tracks we will be more likely inclu- to include them. It's, except, it's because except, it's, an, it's
2: a new way of storytelling, and yeah. that that is on the cutting edge of, of many, many things, uh, music notwithstanding. I mean, a new way of, of actually telling a story in the same way that, like, yeah, okay, no one had probably told a story like Memento, the movie Memento yeah. told a story before, or like the way The Twelve Monkeys tells a story, ways of going in and out and in and out, while actually telling, you know, the, the, the prequel and then telling the the possible sequels and possible outcomes simultaneously, it's its something that only music can do because otherwise people would cry cross cannon foul if it was actually a story. But we won't be doing Walmart. I'm not driving to Jersey to get Walmart bonus tracks. Okay. You don't have to. Okay. We have the internet. It's fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. but you can't get them on Spotify after Walmart bonus tracks because they're so mean well, about Walmart it. Walmart must have an online store.
0: Not I'm that I grumpy. Would shop. All right. I think this is a good place to uh, move into our... Um, Spam mail of the week, I'm guessing it's spam, and then go on to Steve's pick for next week.
2: No, no spam this week. We actually have uh, a real fan mail when we like to use those as often as possible, um, just even when they they basically just, you know, say a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. And actually, we should give our commenter their due. So I wrote a small article
0: up on... Um, circadian clock single bright side which is on their EP Um, and it's a music video they have online so I reviewed that if you haven't read my song shots it's usually a brief aside about my favorite lyric the band and that song and then I link the video and so Bob from Staten Island New York he actually put his location in the comment Bob H I I'm a 63 year old drummer who thinks you guys are really awesome good luck on your journey of course not talking to us but talking to Circadian Clock. So thank you, Bob. I'm sure Circadian Clock appreciates that. I'm
2: um, you know, sure it wasn't intentional, but that, that kind of runs off that old joke. I'm 12, and I like this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but seriously, thank you for commenting, Bob. Uh, we appreciate
0: any and all comments. And honestly, Circadian Clock is a phenomenal band. And if you don't haven't gotten to see them live yet, 63-year-old drummer man, please go see them, because you would totally dig them. Absolutely.
2: And not everybody, by the way, likes to hide the fact that they're from Staten Island. <clears throat> I'm from Staten Island. I was raised there. I actually thought you were going to deny it for a second. No, <laughs> the way you started. No, I was born in Brooklyn and then raised in Staten Island. he doesn't it to all the Brooklynites. He doesn't claim it. It's true. You know, we're Brooklyn. We're cooler. Oh.
1: <sighs> yeah, okay. You're transplant. You ain't native
2: yet. That's
0: right. Yeah. I'm a native New Yorker. I've lived in this state my whole life.
2: Okay, so have I. And so that I still don't come. Anyway, country. Steve, your pick for next week. <laughs> My pick for next week. Um, I tinkered with a few things here, and uh, okay, well, it's gonna be hard to top this one. Uh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> oh yes, that's that's true. Before we truly wrap up, Mark H, the mysterious Mark H. I like the title we
0: gave him. Thank you for this listener's title. It's a fact. It's a fact. It is a fact. Um. Thank
2: you for the suggestion. We all definitely enjoyed Thank you it. you are, you wholeheartedly. Like I said, the album was the highlight of my week. Um, it, it, you easily. are two for two for picking good music. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. This is probably a record, right? An listener pick has never brought us this high. No, I don't we think haven't, so. We've barely brought ourselves this high. Oh, that's not high. true.
0: Owen Palette.
2: Owen Palette was a listener pick. Oh, that was I big. Bad. That was a big. And, one. and that one was a big one. Anyway. He's still the record holder, though. Yes. Okay. Um, Tinkered with a few things. I don't know, just looking what's popular. I didn't like what I perused. I didn't like what I what I what I scanned. All right, not perused, but scanned. I, uh, I decided to go in a different direction. I just picked something, and we're gonna get what we're gonna get. Oh God, we already <laughs> did that last week with Duran Duran. Now what? Oh you no. Well, Bjork, yeah, but it. you ah, have sure. a, you have a certain idea of what to expect with Duran Duran. That's true. I don't think anyone knows this artist. Um, we are doing "Power" by Lord Raja. Lord Raja. Raja and Rajas in caps. Like, like like Egyptian raja? Or raja? I might be an Indian
1: actually.
0: Oh,
2: Indian. Oh, it could be that too. Might be. Uh, I have to check my playlist on Spotify. So, if I'm wrong, I got to check my playlist on Spotify cuz that sounds really familiar. It's um it's electronica, but it's a, a little a little moodier, moodier okay. electronica. I I I think what really sold me was even less the, the little music that I skimmed, just enough to say, "All right, I can I am excited just to take this and see what we get." But what really excited me was the uh the words themselves. Welcome to the world of Lord Raja, a strange, sometimes perilous, alternate dimension with beauty and decay in equal measure. It's a world built on the beat-centric music which flows through New York native Chester Raj Anand, definitely Indian, uh, and his stream of consciousness. Here, classic hip-hop is spliced into vintage IDM, ambient footwork, and experimental sound design. Wow. IDM. Oh come on! Well, I mean, we we read b- bizarre things That's on, true. let's say, Kang Ding Rays. Well, I was sa- I was saying, "Wow," mostly is in "Wow." Okay, <laughs> it's a lot of words. You go, I, I figured, you know, J- John would be curious. Mm-hmm. He likes his uh. I like I like my
0: I like my beats. That's new. I'm dropping them all. I'm curious about the hip hop influences too. So you know, this could be another case of stereotypes where it's something unique doing multiple genre mixing. So we'll see. Vintage IDM. (laughs) (laughs) The idea that IDM can be vintage at this point is hilarious. uh, That could be nah. uh, It could be 30 plus years old. You gotta remember that. Anyway, old man um, man. (laughs) That that aside, yeah, I like old man man. He's a fun recurring character. I'm gonna keep bringing him back as much as possible. But on that note, I hope everyone enjoyed this listener pick it's yeah. not me it's a different guy he pops in no. yeah every so often hey, you kids anyway um, thank you for listening as always guys and we will talk to you next week
2: remember music is life and life, life is good, is good.